a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. This is ridiculous. be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. No! Cannot get your ship off. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. We would be honored if you would join us. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. This is Star Wars Monthly Mondays, number 20. And I am Scott Gardner. And I'm Chris Honeywell. I guess I'm filling in the blanks there, Mr. <laughs> Formal. Gotta remember your cues, sir. Remember your cues. I just want to say right out of the gate that we are very excited because we are now official members of Star Wars Fanworks. Yay! Check them out at www.starwarsfanworks.com. There's a whole community over there uh, of Star Wars uh, podcasts, rather, all related to Star Wars. You just reminded all me. Kinds I've been of digging all through there. Yeah. Oh my God. There are some awesome shows there. I mean, there's like Star Wars news shows, Star Wars uh, like radio drama style shows. There's, I mean, Star Wars comedy shows. It's a trip. It, there's, there's so much cool stuff over there. And we are very, very excited to be a part of that community now. Also, speaking of uh, Star Wars podcast communities, I guess um, there was a contest of sorts on the forcecast.net. I hope I'm getting that uh, that address correct. Right. And uh, yeah, our uh, our good buddy, our friend Mike Potit, Biblio Mike on the forums. Uh, I just found out tonight he placed third in uh, a song contest that they were running over there. So uh, we wanted to uh, publicly say congratulations, Biblio Mike. That is awesome. And uh yeah, and I guess and I don't he, know. Got, <laughs> he got his na- when the names were announced on the Force cast, the voice actor who plays Obi Wan on Clone Wars that's read his right. name. That's right. So that's pretty cool. That's right. Oh, what is that guy's name? You've oh, seen it's that him guy's in person. Name. Um, yeah, I saw him in person. Damn, I can't think of his name. Oh, I feel so bad. I can't. But yeah, that guy, that guy is cool as hell. Go to YouTube and hunt up some videos of him um, at like. Uh, um, what are they called? This is like the Star Wars weekends events and things like that, and watch him doing his stuff because it's amazing. Because he even jokes, he he looks just like David Spade, yeah, he and does. he even jokes that he looks like David Spade. But this guy is an amazing voice talent, and to watch him 
sit there and talk to you and be able to run the gamut of all these different voices is it's just amazing that, that anybody has that much talent with their voice it's really cool but uh yeah he does so many voices in animation that it'll it'll amaze you that that this little guy that like i say looks like david spade can do the voices he does like obi-wan and fred flintstone and uh oh what is that one my kids watch shit i can't think of the name it's like johnny danger or something like i don't know they'd be screaming at me if they were in the room at the moment they they know who i'm talking about but anyway yeah he does dozens and dozens of voices and is just freaking amazing doing it but uh yeah so anyway in this exciting episode we have a very special guest that i'm absolutely delighted has joined us for this episode and by day, our guest plays the part of a wealthy industrialist, playboy, and philanthropist. By night, he is a frightening creature that strikes terror into the heart of criminals. Oh, good. Or he managed a comic book store for four years and a movie theater megaplex for three years. Nowadays, he's just a really vocal geek on the Unique Geek, the semi-regular co-host of the Views from the Long Box podcast, and runs the Once Upon a Geek and Firestorm. Yeah, I can't talk. And runs the Once Upon a Geek and Firestorm fan blogs. Please welcome to our show. I'm so happy he's here. The irredeemable Shag. Woo! I'm here. <laughs> let all be. Let all bask in the glory that is the irredeemable Shag. Wow. Or not. Or whatever. If there's anything more important <laughs> than my ego in this room, it should be found and shot immediately. Say five Beeblebrox. That's my life. We got a Beeblebrox here, Gardner. Absolutely. Yeah, there we go. I do have uh, to say, awesome. guys, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here. I really enjoy your show. Uh, you've got a cute little program you put together here. Um, now, nah, uh, in y'all's green room, by the way, beats the hell out of Michael Bailey's green room from Views in the Long oh, Box. You he, know he throws out, well, he throws out like this half a can of mixed nuts that's like half gone. All the cashews have been eaten. He gives me warm Milwaukee's beast, yeah. right? And you guys, I mean, you had bacon wrapped shrimp, you had crudite, a full liquor bar, and that bartender was smoking. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy. How, how did it go good. with the bartender? Well, I'm married, yeah. so, you know. So we won't talk <laughs> okay. about it on the air. Okay, good. We could just IM about that. There we go. Yeah, we right, had to right. pay a lot I'm of money. We had to pay a lot of money for the conversion on that one, but we'll talk about that I later. Glad he didn't, I'm just glad he didn't notice that all the uh, liquor bottles are actually empty and glued down to the bar, so that... God, <laughs> really need to pay more attention instead of looking at her. Oh well, that's how that's how it works. That's why we hired her to you know, the the wallpapers <laughs> peeling, you know, the the floors got mold in the corners, but nobody ever notices that. They're just like, mm -hmm. I'm easily distracted. <laughs> well, the smell of bacon. So, so we're talking about Star yeah. Wars, right? Absolutely. Awesome. I ju just getting ready for this program, I watched it for the first time last week. I thought it was really cool. Uh, Luke Starkiller <laughs> and his Sun Sword and all that shit and hands, uh, Han Calrissian and uh, Ookla the Wookiee, all really neat stuff. So, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> well, thank you for stopping by, Shag. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes the Skype bloop noise. <laughs> we seem to be having no, some man. problems with Skype. 
<laughs> no, actually, those. No, we were really excited to have you here, man. Um, I, I noticed on your blog that uh, that you've been talking about uh, Star Wars for what, like the like the past week or so, and uh, and I was following that and just everything you were posting there about the the different things, the, the different facets, especially like the toys and stuff. I was just like, yep, uh huh, yep, uh huh. Just following along and, and really getting a kick out of it because uh, we we feel the same way here about a lot of the the classic original stuff for for star wars that's awesome yeah i uh, actually i you guys inspired those po- series of posts i called it my star wars resume is after talking with you guys and you guys uh, were gracious enough to invite me i'm like well you know how should i tell them what i know i'm like you know what i'll just do this f- on my blog and say if they want to read it they're welcome <laughs> to yeah i uh I'm, I'm really pretty deep into the eu of the classic trilogy um not so much with the the prequel trilogy it's not that i'm a hater but it's it's not really my bag, so I just I've really thrown myself into the EU of the classic trilogy, whether it be the the New Republic or the New Jedi Order or the Legacy Era. It's I, I love it. I dig it oh, all. You'll, you'll be happy to know that we just recently recorded a uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye episode. <laughs> awesome! Yes. I hope we're talking. To, hope there's lots to talk about the kissing. Well, there's yeah. It's oh yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. It come... Now, will that be up by the time that this is up, Chris? That this episode airs? I believe airs? They, will, they will have heard that by now, yes. I, 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 it's Well, uh, I actually had a note related to that, just just real quick, talking about Splinter and uh, talking about uh, the, the EU, strangely enough. Um, I just finished my second Star Wars omnibus. It was that um, Emissaries to Molestare. Um, it was, it's the one that comes right after the uh, the Rise of the Sith, which was the first one I bought. Another awesome read. I mean, I tore through it in just a couple of days. It was great. And uh, a lot of the stories in there I'd already read because it's the beginning of the uh, the first Star Wars regular monthly that uh, Dark Horse was putting out, the one that was just simply called Star Wars, and then later on it switched and, and it became Star Wars Republic. But it was all these early stories with, like, uh, Kiari Mundi and stuff like that. But at the end of it, it reprinted... Um, the Django Fett, uh, I think it's called Open Seasons, which is like the the origin story of Django Fett. It was it was just a fantastic book, and I really liked it. But there was a reference in there that the first time around that I read the uh, the emissaries to Malastare story, I didn't realize I didn't catch it because it had been years since I had read Splinter of the Mind's Eye. But there was a part in there with uh, this uh, hut, uh, you know, this gang. He was like a Jabba character. And, uh, like, half his head was gone. And uh, Mace Windu was telling a story about the huts and how they're, they're basically like worms where, you know, portions of their body can be gone and they'll just regenerate them over time and stuff. And he tells that the, the huts, you know, what had happened to the hut was done by one of those, uh, uh, what were those worm creatures? The Wandrella, yeah, it was done by a Wandrella on Sarcarpus, whatever the hell that, that number of that planet was, yeah. four, six, or whatever. And I was like, oh, wait a minute, that's a, that's a Splinter <laughs> reference. So I, I thought it was really cool. I kind of geeked out when I read that the, the second time around. So it's kind of weird that it actually is relevant to our conversation, kind of, sort of. Showing Alan Dean the respect. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic book. Speaking of uh, Alan Dean Foster, uh, next episode I will be uh, reviewing a book that I just finished reading by Alan Dean Foster, a very recent book by Alan Dean Foster. So uh, come on back for that. But uh, 
sticking with Star Wars here. Now, I want to hear your your origin story, Shag. How did uh, how did you get? Because I'm, I'm I have to admit I, I'm not sure how old you are or anything. So I'm I'm curious what your Star Wars origin story is. How you discovered the movies and what kind of Star Warsy things you were into. Besides, you know, you mentioned like the EU and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But you know about like the toys and comics and that sort of thing. Well, I uh, I'm just a couple years younger than you guys. Not much. Uh, I'm 22. Uh, no, just kidding. That's right. I'm almost 40. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, oh well, almost 40, <sighs> and the hairline proves it. But um, so you know, I saw the original ones in the theater. I mean, I was five when the first one hit the theater. Still saw it a number of times as a kid. You know, then that and immediately jumped in on the toys, which was really all we had yeah. back then. Uh, so did the toys. Uh, I, believe it or not, I still have my 1977 blue Star Wars bed sheets and uh, my 10 year old stepson sleeps on them now nice so I don't know what the thread count is on those suckers but they've held up all these years I mean they were in college they were our couch cover because we had this hideous floral print couch so we used the sheets as a couch cover so pretty much any girl that came in knew what she was getting into so she had no excuse if she didn't like it but um, so now is anyway. this the light blue one it has like a light blue sky behind it these, is that the one actually these are the dark blue set there was a light blue set and a dark blue set. This is the dark uh, see, blue I set. Yeah, I still have many pieces from the light blue set myself, so I know what <laughs> you mean about the red bear and all that. But, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, yeah, so hooked it up when I was five and just really got into it. And then, um, believe it or not, I, I got started on the Star Wars comics on uh, issue number 50, which uh, we're going to talk about tonight, which is uh, – I'm pretty excited that's about cool. that. So I think that was, that was the first one, I, and I'll explain why later. But so dug the comics, and that was really my first exposure to the EU. I was like, wow, there's this whole other world out there. And continue with the toys up until, like, you know, the Return of the Jedi waves. I I got the first couple um, figures out of the wave of Return of the Jedi, and by that point I was kind of moving on. I got into into Doctor Who and and Star Trek and other stuff at that point. Um, And then I guess the novels for me was, you know, right when Heir to the Empire came out, I, I... a buddy of mine called me up. He had just read Heir to the Empire, and he goes, I'm just going to tell you one thing. He goes, Wookiees have claws. I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. That makes perfect sense. Why did I never think about that? I have to read this book. And uh, I was hooked ever since. And got into the role-playing game about the same time, which, I don't know, have you guys ever messed around with the role-playing no. game, the West End game? Brilliant. I would love to, but no, I, I, I never did absolutely brilliant stuff even if you don't play the game just the source material is great they uh in fact when timothy zahn oh, yeah. was writing heir to the empire lucasfilm shipped him a box full of west end games books and said this is the kind of world that we're looking to build outside of the films and so he ended up filling his books with all kinds of stuff from the role-playing game um great stuff in fact uh I, the role-playing game could potentially solve your what happened to General Dodonna question that you've had going for a long time. Uh, they they actually say Oh, uh, you he, know, I... They actually say he died oh, on I'm Yacht. I'm sorry, I didn't... Not, not, yeah. I was just going to say, they, according to the role-playing game, and then I think the, uh, the, the daily comic strips, I don't know which one would have really come first, but either way, said that Dodonna died in... Uh, once, once the Imperials finally reached the fourth moon of Yavin and pulverized what was left of the rebel base... Um, supposedly, Dodonna stayed behind, so oh. you know. I'm sure. I'm sure Leia shed a tear and thought of her uh, late night education she was getting right. from him. I a suppose. single tear out but... the window, looking into space. <laughs> I 
change it. <laughs> Drawn by Carmen I'm, I'm thinking yeah. like midnight abortion somewhere. So, you know, in, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome Shit. to Two True Freaks. <laughs> two, two one b is some backstreet, you know. Yeah, exactly. Doctor. It's awesome. <laughs> um, no, I, you know, I... Uh, Oh man, I don't I don't know whether to say thank you or be really pissed at you now because uh, it's like I've resisted the urge to track those kind of things down for the longest oh, time oh. because I don't need another hobby. I don't need another thing to to have to hunt on my massive, you know, list of things I'm always watching for on eBay or at conventions. But I think I am going to have to finally track those down because uh, not long ago my buddy uh, Adam Tebow. Uh, I've been over to his place a few times, and he's got a huge collection of source books from both Star Wars and Star Trek, and they are awesome. And I don't yeah. think he games. I think he just collected them because they're I, cool, and they're great sources of information. I just so, got a yeah. box full of a Star Trek role-playing game full of all all different kinds of modules and stuff, you know, ex- and it is. It's fascinating. Yep. It's like the technical manuals and stuff that they used to come out with, you know. It's a little encyclopedia, and... It's right. really cool. I love stuff like that. And like, was that the FASA? Was that the FASA game? Yeah, or it was FASA. Else's? Okay. Yeah. And that was my first gr- one. My first garage sale find. My first stop at a garage sale. I got that. I got a bunch of the original James Blish adaptations of Star Trek TV shows, and I got though the log the log books. Yeah. Right? Wasn't that what they were yeah. called? Yeah, I love. I the, got about I eight those of those. Covered- yeah, and oh. I got um, like a hundred Conan the Barbarian comics. Oh wow! <laughs> so that was my first, and I was just riding a bike. So that, and I'm like riding my bike with a bag, like weighing like eight pounds, you know. On the side, it was awesome. So it might be that might be. I hope that's a good omen of garage sale. You know, garage sales of the future. There you go. It's a good way to start the That's season. That's my number one source of, of Star Wars toys and, you know, materials is, is garage sales. And I'm thinking, even though Clone Wars is out, there's just, you know, the, it's it's Star Wars and Joe Average's mind is not quite the big deal it was. So people aren't going to be like, this has Star Wars on it. It's worth a million dollars anymore, you know. So I, right. I, I think I might be picking up some bargains this summer if you find one of those 1977 uh stormtrooper blaster rifles you know let me Is know that what you're looking those for cool. the the full-size blaster I, rifles or the the ones for your figure no the full-size yeah. like so i was at uh, I used to have free one comic of those day. i was at free comic book day and um they had some guys from the 501st there and the guy had a guy in a full yeah. stormtrooper arm which was cool and i was looking at his gun i'm like Dude, that's the original toy, isn't yeah. it? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, that's fucking cool. My my ten year old's like, can I hold it? I'm like, uh, no, 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 no. no, no. Now, now you're talking, you're talking the ones that were out when we were kids from Canada, yeah. right? You yeah. the trigger and it, it didn't make a sound remotely like the movie. It just went like, or something like. That. But the yeah. Storm- yeah, I had the, one of those. Love that s- thing. I don't know. The stock. The Stormtrooper one had the stock that pulled out. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yep. That was yep. awesome. Yeah. Well, the the one that, there's one out that you can catch every now and again in stores. That's pretty close to that one. It doesn't do the stock, that but the, it looks. Is that the it, is that the white one they made? 
Uh, you know, I think it is white now that you say it. My yeah. kids have one. You'd think I'd know that. But, yeah, I think you're right. I think it is white now that you say that. But the mold is pretty much – you could probably spray paint it or something if you, if you, you know, had to have it black. But it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have the stock thing is the only – that's the only bad thing about it. I just – ever since I saw that a couple of weeks ago, it's always like, oh, it would be nice to have one of those. I'll but like way out uh, for one when I'm well, – yeah, but you may I'd not pry it from my hands if I get one, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, can pry, you can pry my blaster from my cold dead exactly. hand. My cold there dead bionic a, hand. There was a dude uh, two weekends ago. I went to the the latest uh, thing of the uh, Atlanta Comic Convention, and there were two guys there that had a lot of awesome uh, vintage Star Wars stuff, you know, toys. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if I saw a blaster or not. I really don't remember, but I, I just walked around that thing looking at all the stuff they had and it was just breaking my heart because you had it all <laughs> i did have it all and that's what kills me is that you know this it seems like i'd be over it by now because this had to be let me see scotty just turned 14 and he was an infink when i when i sold all that stuff because uh you know of course we we just had the new baby and all that and it was tough times you know, when, when we were just starting out, and uh, I, if I remember properly, I think I sold all that shit for rent money. If I remember properly, something about, you know to that effect. Mm-hmm. And I sold the whole freaking kit and caboodle for three hundred dollars. And at this convention, one piece of what I had, one oh, tiny oh. little friggin' piece of what I had, was seventy dollars, and that was the. Um, it was in the original box. It was the, the try. I don't know what the hell it's actually called, but it's, you remember in the empire strikes back when, when Han and Chewie are trying to fire up the Falcon and it keeps stalling out and the snow troopers run in and they, they quickly set up that tripod, tripod gun. gun yeah. I had oh, the like, tripod gun in the oh, friggin' like, uh, box with all the paperwork and everything. And E-Web. this guy Isn't had, it? what's that? E-Web, I think is what the gun's called. Uh, I, you, you, you got me on that. It could be, but uh, I forget what Kenner called it. I, I think they might have just called it like the tri gun or tripod gun or something to that effect. Stormtrooper BF- BFG. Yeah, yeah, that, I like that name. <laughs> but he had one there, and it was seventy dollars. So that's yeah. like like a fourth of of what I got for the whole yeah. thing that I sold. I mean, I had I had every figure from Star Wars. I had. Probably nine tenths of the figures from Empire, just a handful of the guys from Jedi, because by that point we were what fifteen or so and kind of getting uh, you know feeling too old. Right, or something our money correct. was going more yeah. towards comics actually by that time. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. But I had like the Death Star playset, the Land of the Jawas playset, and yep. you know all the ships, and it's like God, I just you know I I, I get so pissed thinking about it. But I was looking at all the stuff that they had, and every once in a while I get that itch to like, you know, God, I'd love to start recollecting all this stuff. But then I see these prices, and I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, never. It takes up a lot of space too. That's that's what keeps me like. There's a toy store here in town that has that gigantic um, shuttle tiderium tiderium in beautiful yeah, shape yeah. and he wants 70 bucks for it but it's like it's like 75 but i think he had it slashed down to like it's like 50 bucks or something and you know i'd almost consider spending 50 bucks on that but it's just like i don't have any place in my junk filled yeah. house to put it you know to 
that, yeah, that's a good point too, because I, I try to content myself with the knowledge that I saved the, the things that were most important to me out of that collection. I, I kept my, my slave one, my original slave one, and I kept my, all my bounty hunters in there and their accessories. And then, you know, that was it. And all that shit's in a box somewhere. So I don't know why I get so nostalgic about it, because even if I still had all of it today, it would more than likely be in a box somewhere, you know, rather than out, you know, on display or, or being played with by a child. Right. So, yeah. That's that's where all, that's where most of my shit is. Is it, you know up in the attic? And part of the reason I took the pictures and put it on the blog so like I can look at them yeah. and like be reminded. Like, oh, right. I, I do have a box of like uh, the later ones, like the '90s series of figures. That's uh-huh. under just it's under my bed, and my ten year old just goes nuts. He like just plays with them for hours on end. He loves it. And it's really cool just to see him sitting here, you know, smashing a you know a Darth Maul versus a, a Boba Fett or whatever. Yeah. Bam, bam, bam! Like, yeah, that's what they're meant that's, for. Yeah. Now, awesome. isn't that awesome though? That feeling of of watching your kids absorb discover it. that match Star Wars. It's so I love cool. That. I made sure, you know. Okay, I, I, well, I'm jumping all over the place, but I made sure to show them in the right order. But I will say uh, a commentary to something you guys said on a recent podcast. You were talking about how um, you could keep the secret of Luke uh, Vader being Luke's dad. By the way, spoiler. Sorry, folks. Anyway, about Vader being Luke's <laughs> dad to kids, you could keep that secret. I don't think you can, because even no, before we watched the first Star Wars movie, with with my, I mean, he was probably six at the time. Before we watched the very first one, he already knew Vader was Luke's dad, just from general pop culture. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Yeah, pop culture. Well, it's like a comedian. Oh. Anytime anybody walks up to a fan nowadays, they put their mouth into it and go, Luke, I am your father. Right. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I gotta, you mentioned Dragon Con a little bit ago. I got I to gotta ask, did you notice last year there was yeah. a guy, and if you didn't see it, I'll have to send you the picture. There was, a, you know, there lots of Mandalorians. You know, they're all over the effing place. Yeah. And um, so, I, you know, we're walking around, and, and we've been out drinking, having fun, and we stumble across this one Mandalorian, and, and he's, he looks like his suit's a little whitewashed-ish. And I'm like, huh, okay. And then I noticed the staff. He was Boba Fett from the holiday special. Specifically. Oh, no, did not that, see him. But, no, I did a, not. I would have never figured it out if he didn't have that staff with that little forked yeah, thing at the end. Yeah, that he was on the lizard, the aquatic lizard yes. with. Yeah. yeah. But we it's were both actually like, a good thing oh for God. that guy. I didn't see him because I probably could not have resisted the urge to, like, conk him on the head and steal his, <laughs> his gear. Because, yeah, that. Find himself <laughs> in the hallway in the Hyatt with, in, in his, his boxers, yeah. underwear, yeah, in his underoos. <laughs> his Boba Fett underoos. Exactly. Wake up in a bathtub. And the next day, there's snow. like a Mandalorian walking around in a too small outfit. You know what I just <laughs> thought of? There's my outfit for Dragon Con right there because I honestly have to admit, I really don't have any shame or modesty. So I could. Are you go admitting to that Dragon right Con. now? Wow. I am admitting that. I could go to Dragon Con in a pair of Boba Fett underoos. I, I think I might actually try there to There you pull go. It it's a frightening <laughs> sight, but I may actually do that. It wouldn't be the most frightening thing at Dragon Con, that's for I sure. I thought about so. costumes, but I just don't want to bother with it, you know? Yeah. I see that I saw that poor guy you know, I don't know if I should think have too much pity for it. the the guy who was <laughs> that we got the picture of the Doctor Man the smoking Doctor Manhattan. <laughs> Remember that guy? And you'd see him yeah. on the third day, and he's still all blue. And you're thinking this guy's got to get up in the morning, 
and either apply that or go to bed on like a plastic sheet every night and then like touch <laughs> it up in the morning and you know then put on his his under his you know his loincloth thingy and make sure he doesn't get it, it what a pain in the and then walk around yeah, it, yeah no it's or will you walk around i mean i've got a full gorilla suit if i lived closer and didn't have to bring it with me i'd bring that just for quick gorilla quote unquote gorilla tactics <laughs> and take it out for quick because it's really hot in those things and those suit things it's really hot and I, I've I always been, wanna, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying, I've always been scared to wear a costume because, like, I'm a judgmental prick. You know, when I'm at the yeah. at Dragon Con, I, I take about 500 pictures a year of costumes. That's kind of one of the things I love doing, and I put them up on the, on different sites or whatever. But um, I'm a total jerk. Oh, I am you too, know, man. I'll, immediately in my brain, judge whether your costume sucks or not and whether I'm going to take a picture, whether I think you're co- you know, photo-worthy or not. And I don't want to be on the other side of that. I don't want to be right. people making judgments on my crappy costume I'm going to put together in my kitchen or something, you know. If you so. do the crappy outfit, it has to be really witty, you know. Yeah. It has to be yeah. some witty, witty thing that you can get away with. Otherwise, yeah. It's uh, or you could be a stormtrooper. I, I often wonder what people's motivations are being stormtroopers anymore. You know, it's just kind of it's weird. There was so they, they, many they, stormtroopers. I mean, they they look they look yeah badass, they do look bad. Really, yeah, especially when you get yeah. a whole group of them together, it really gets it really is cool actually. <laughs> so okay, that answers I that question. That was one of the things I walked away from Dragon Con entertaining was the notion. I was very impressed by the Mandalorian. Scott, Scott might be heading towards the Mandalorian side, yeah. But no, I, I thought that until I went on to like their official website and. Just learning. Don't alienate you know, the Mandalorians, man. They're re- the best no, no, killers no, no, in the no, galaxy. No, no, no. I'm not. No, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not disparaging them at all. Their dedication and their um. Oh, okay, yeah. Like their their set of rules for that it tells me that they are way more dedicated and far, far more. Uh, let me put it this Serious way. I'm about basically it? a heart one lazy motherfucker, and there's just no way that I would have the wherewithal to do all that they because they have like strict standards. Codes I mean, they're honor. they're not going to tolerate somebody using like paper towel rolls and shit right, to, right. to make their outfit. You know, I mean, they they're expecting you to go to it's like, like a gated community. Oh, there's there's yeah. there's zoning <laughs> laws with your. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And, awesome. Yeah, I, I, I got no. Well, you already near did your the... stint in the military, so basically, yeah. <laughs> but it it would be cool. It would be very cool if I had the the time and money and and ambition and all that to really get into it. But I, I yeah. simply don't. But I respect those guys because you can be a some rogue of those Mandalorian, costumes, especially the uh, what do you call it? The uh, is steampunk is that the right yeah. word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were amazing because I saw several so, Mandalorians that were done in that steampunk yeah, style. I like the Star Wars <laughs> stuff steampunked up. Yeah, oh, the, yeah. The steam- it's totally badass. The, the steampunk yeah. R2D2s alone are just yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like that stuff. The thing about the steampunk thing that seemed to me is it seemed like there was a lot of like if I see somebody who does something steampunk, I want, I, I always pictured it. The people who were into that were sort of mechanically inclined people who like, okay, I want to build one of these in a old school mechanical way, you know? And then you get a lot, there were a lot of people with sort of like uh, molded plastic 
steampunk looking things that were sort of pre-manufactured. So, mm-hmm. you know, I sort of want to see the people who that yeah, that that was sort of weird. I want to see the people who really like, you know, get out their get out their propane torch and their solder and <laughs> and go and go to it and actually make a, you know, when cuz when I first started seeing steampunk, I'd see videos on YouTube and you know, it, it was this proud mechanically engineering kind of guy who's machined his own you know very baroque looking machine with all these you know pneumatic pumps and twirly gigs going and look it works and steam's coming out of it and i thought that was really cool i love that stuff i love i'm i i love the people who get sort of obsessed with sort of lost arts and mm-hmm. lost way or old ways of doing stuff and they're they're drawn towards doing it but at the same time they acknowledge that they're living in the modern world or that they're Star Wars geeks so they do Star Wars I love my roommate there's this thing called the I think the Darth Vader project or something it's a charity thing where they send these um you know their their standard prop ready Darth Vader heads to these artists and they redo them and this guy did a Darth Vader head that was his mouthpiece was replaced with like a, a skull mouth and he had over his helmet they had the cloth camouflage of you know like a Vietnam helmet with with mm-hmm. a piece of elastic around it with a crumpled up pack of Marlboros stuck in it <laughs> and it was like the it was like the Vietnam Darth Vader and I saw that thing I'm like I want that and my roommate sent me a picture of it and I'm like I want that and she found out it's like this charity auction so it's probably going to go for like $30,000 or something like that but all these people do different versions of Darth Vader that are intricately you know craft I love that stuff I think I've seen some of those. They've been doing that for a while, right? Yeah, I think this was uh, – w- when I was looking at it, it looked like it was like the third or fourth year running at least. Mm-hmm. And yeah, those look really cool. And, and you're absolutely right about the steampunk stuff. I, and I don't know whether – the group one of the groups I saw that blew me away, and I'm not sure if they were authentic and it really worked on it or whether they just got some plastic molds or what, but there was some steampunk Ghostbusters. Yeah, we saw and- them. They looked great. They didn't even call themselves Ghostbusters. They had some other term like, I don't know, like uh, ethereal catchers yes. or you know, something – similar but that was oh they were awesome yeah i'm really looking forward i as a matter of fact that reminds me i gotta put in an email and see if i can get scott and i on a couple more star wars panels this year and if anybody's listening who has anything to do with that we'd really love to be on a star wars comic panel that would be a lot of fun That'd be cool. I'd come and boo you guys. I'd absolutely be Oh, there. yeah. More, uh... <laughs> well, hell, between all of us that, that know each other now and everything, I, I, I think we could basically set up in the freaking lobby of some hotel somewhere and do Listen, our own thing if, if we couldn't get into something, you know? Hell, yeah. Go record you, a podcast on something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, between us Scott, you know where we can, you know where Scott, you know where we can do that, Scott. I will say no more because I don't want to say in public how we did it before but scott and i know of a nice little oh that's a nice right. little venue that's right. yeah that's okay. right <laughs> full service <laughs> venue yeah there you it's go it's free i don't know how that yeah, works it was absolutely free but um 
<laughs> yeah, we're really well, looking. If, if it's free, if it's free, it's not the Hooters I was. Thinking, <laughs> but anyway, a podcast from Hooters would just be sort of like, and like the sound of like the the whatever we're recording on shorting out as Scott drool drools and drips onto it and shorts out the electronics. I do like my boobies. That's for we sure. We did do a drunken awesome drunken sauce. podcast from Dragon Con last year with Eric Peterson and. And Todd. Oh my God, that was true. That was Todd Grady, who will be on later on in the show. But yeah, it was <laughs> it was pretty exciting. We were molested by Roger Rabbit and zombie Princess <laughs> Leia's and zombies oh God, and ninjas. Uh, now you got me all worked up for for this coming Dragon Con, which I, I'm I'm very excited about because I I have to admit I, I'm a little bit bumming right now because. Last year was so awesome Star Wars wise for me because I got it was well it was right around this time of year last year that uh, I got to go to uh, Star Wars weekends right uh, done at Disney for the first time for the only time and uh, wow that was just awesome and I was kind of bumming out because somebody I want to say it might have been Biblio Mike but I'm not sure posted up the uh they just released some of the the artwork that disney's going to have all you know advertising around at the parks and stuff for the star wars weekends this year mm-hmm. and i was looking at those and i'm really glad he posted up because i love looking at that stuff but on the flip side it also kind of depressed me because i was like shit i can't go and then i got all bummed out and everything so you know, i'm not i'm not busting on biblia i'm glad he, he posted that stuff up but it was also you know there was the downside to it too which uh. is damn it i can't go <laughs> but it looks awesome yeah go to go to our forum and check that out because some of those posters are just really really cool i love the one it's uh it's a shot down oh, i can't remember what street that is whatever street ends with uh with the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror at the end of the street. I want to say that's Sunset Boulevard, but I'm not sure I've got the streets right. But anyway, whatever street that is, and you see um, uh, General Grievous doing that, like, hunched-over run that he does. He's running down the street, and in his hand, you know, he's got all four of his arms out, but instead of holding lightsabers, he's got, like, two of those Buzz Lightyear spinny things. And he's <laughs> got, like, a Mickey Mouse. Yeah, balloons and, like, a Mickey Mouse ice cream bars. It's and there's just this little kid looking right at him, the kid, like, two him, feet yeah. away from him, looking up at him like, whoa. That's the best yeah. picture. I have an issue. I'm glad you brought this up. I have an issue with one of these pictures. God damn it. One of these are they pictures or drawings? They're, they're photoshopped. They're photoshopped. They're beautiful. Okay. Photoshop gotcha. digital synthesis, and it's it's of Yoda with his lightsaber out, and it's like a twi- it's at twilight, and there's a shrub that's that's topiary. A topiary that's manicured to look like Mickey Mouse, and there's a little uh, bud coming out of it. And Yoda has this look on his face of pure, abject, you know, kill. And he's got his lightsaber <laughs> right ready to flip off, you know, clip off this, this bud. And, you know, I just don't think that's very Yoda. I don't see Yoda going, oh, mm, disobedient nature. Ah, that pisses me off, you know. This topiary. <laughs> Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse Clubhouse, my ass. <laughs> yeah. mm. Oh, my God. We got some. Oh, Scott. Scott, Scott, Scott. 
Can we use okay. him to do the shitty Yoda this month? Oh, we need to. Yes. I got it. Yes. It'll it'll actually be a decent Yoda. Oh my god, I have. I don't know if I should be flattered or not. Well, you. I, I have you ever heard any of our Clone Wars? Uh, where we'll introduce Clone Wars, and I have to do my, like, just barely above, um, star. It's better than John. Right. Lithgow, that's what that's I'm saying. Not saying I've, yeah. I've heard of John Lithgow. <laughs> He, John Lithgow was. I love, yeah, I love me the radio good. dramas. I really yeah, do. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> Although the Return of the Jedi one was a piece of shit compared to Empire. Yeah, they did. Empire was just incredible. Yeah, they didn't put the time into the Jedi one. Is well, it was the yeah. same. Well, wasn't the Jedi one like way, way later after the trilogy was actually over and all that? It was in the nineties, I thought. Yeah. Or late eighties, yeah. yeah. And it was shorter. It was like after yeah, and, and Perry King makes a hell of a good Han Solo, by the way. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. I've al- I've always wondered if uh, if he was the Han Solo of some of the other. What was the? Uh, ah, damn it! Rebel mission to Ord Mantell. Did you ever hear that record, Shag? No, I haven't. It was a record that came out. Um, I want to say Disney did it, but I'm not I sure. I think it was Buena Vista. I think you're yeah, absolutely I think it right. Was too- but there were there were several different records that came out right around the time of uh, either shortly before or shortly after Return of the Jedi. Okay. And we we played one last show. As a matter of fact, it was the one. I, uh, droid I'd never World. heard. I'd never heard that Droid World one you guys played. That was oh, really okay. cool. Yeah, I, I, li- I think. I like- I think that narrator, by the way, this is a total tangent. I think that narrator is the same guy NBC hired and who used to do all their like. Big the big voice miniseries guys like, who would like do the narration for V like you know they came from another world they came for our it's very water. possible you know, big, yeah I it's think very, it's if it was NBC it's very possible because aren't they aren't they Disney owned actually ABC is or ABC yeah one of them <laughs> but yeah I know what you mean because when I was listening to it I kept thinking that that guy and whoever played Clickson were very familiar to me but I I couldn't place the exact voices on those but. They did that one. They did another one that we'll be playing further down the road that was an adaption of, I want to say it was issue 55, but don't hold me to that. But it, it's the uh, uh, Ujibs, Planet of the Ujibs story. <laughs> Cliff, ex- I love Cliff. Cliff, yes, yeah, that's the one. It's excellent. It's really a good, uh, good uh, adaptation of that. But then there was this one that to the best of my knowledge it was just a just a standalone project that wasn't based on anything else but it was a full size album you know a uh what was that chris 33 and a third yeah it was a, it was a 12 inch yeah 12 uh, thank you that was it that was the term i was looking for it was a 12 inch album and it was called rebel mission to ord mantel and it told this like lost adventure of luke han leia and the droids that takes place leading up to the beginning of the empire strikes back of how they were out. It starts out, I think with, with Han and Luke scouting out Hawk for the rebel Alliance. And then they head back to wherever the rebels are in the interim. And then they end up going to Ord Mantell and Leia's going to like, I think she's like making like a ATM withdrawal for the Alliance or some fucking thing. I can't remember now, but it's actually really cool. But that Luke actually is sort of happening good. in this month's comics. <laughs> yeah, she's just, just thinking <laughs> the ATM withdrawal part is what's. Oh my yeah. god, you're right. Oh my god, I forgot about that. You're absolutely right. But uh, the that the sounds voice really cool. that, 
it, that sounds it really is. cool because the, the it, Han Solo line is, you know, the bounty hunter or Mantel changed my mind. So that's yeah. perfect. And they do. They run into a uh, they run into a bounty hunter there. So yeah, it's it, you're kind of getting that lost story, you know that that's like you say that that throwaway line from Empire, you know, built basically this whole adventure. But uh, I highly recommend it because I listened to it again not long ago, and you know what? It really holds up because those Disney audio productions were they were done pretty well. And this one's cool because it's not your typical, you know. You will know to turn the page when R two D two beats like this one didn't have a book. It was so it was a straight like audio drama. So it's you know, it's like a one of those like movie in your mind type of type of deals. But it's like, like, really well done. That's really cool. I'm gonna have to hunt that down. Rebel yeah. Mission to Orbentel, is that what it was? Yeah. We'll uh, we'll figure out a way to play it at some, some point. Yeah. We'll 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 do that in one of us. maybe we'll do like an ancillary uh episode or something maybe where we'll we can play serialize that. it or something and yeah, well, that'd be fun. But it was good. It, I think it was really good, and it and it really holds up. But the voice acting is very good because the the Luke that's in that sounds a lot like Mark. Yeah, Hamill. he does. Three PO is okay. They but at least they use the same three PO for all the things. So it's the same three PO that's in Droid World and in Planet of the Hujibs and possibly something else. And the Han that's in it sounds a lot to me like it might be Perry King, but I, I'm not positive. But uh, that, anyway, that's what put me in mind of it was the mention of Perry King, because I, 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 I did him as Han. I'm going to have to get this Pliff thing now, just because Pliff is one of my favorite EU characters from just how ridiculous he is. I love him to death, and <laughs> I, I have to know what Pliff sounds like now, so I'm going to have to find that one, no doubt about it. Well, the the audio part of it's really good, but what I like also is the the book that comes with it is you know it's fully painted, fully illustrated, fully painted, and it's nice. It's it's very nice artwork, and they they really did a a quality job on that one because I think they did a quality job on Droid World. Don't get me wrong, but the problem with that one is that story it was kind of stupid. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas, whereas <laughs> the Food Gyps is actually a pretty damn good yeah. story. Honestly, yeah. at least I think so. I liked it. So I love yeah. it. Absolutely love it. So I want to yeah. know, jumping ahead a little bit, because I know we're sooner or later we got it. We're gonna have to go forward in time. But um, when you guys get done with the comics and get through Return of the Jedi, you guys gonna cover the uh, Ewok TV movies? I have a really <laughs> good story for the first Ewok one. That's I have a really involved story about that. I don't have time to tell it now because we're almost running running to the end of this segment, but. Yeah, I, I've only seen uh, the first one, but I would I would yeah, be me, willing yeah. to do it. But I have a feeling that that may almost be something for my media masochist show from, you know, because no. I know Wilford Brimley shows up somewhere in there. And Well, let me I, let me ask I you have a, I, have a re, I have a real quick story about that, if I can. Sure. Go uh, ahead. My family uh, worked in television. They, my, my mother and father both ran television stations. And the the one with Wilford Brimley, I was watching it, and we happened to have it on videotape. You know, we recorded it off off air. And there's one scene where he's fiddling with these dials, and he spits in his hands, and I swear to God, he says the word fuck. All right? He, like, spits in his hand, flips a couple switches, and it doesn't work, and he goes, fuck. And sorry for the language. But it is a riot. Wilford Brimley cursing, you know, an Ewok movie. I'm like, that can't be. And I rewound it. Showed up to my mom. I'm like, you got to see this. And she's like, what? She didn't care. And he, she heard it, and she couldn't believe it. She was astounded. And again, she works for TV stations. She sent a message. I, it wasn't email back then, but sent some sort of message up the corporate pike. Next time they ran it on the air, Gone. that scene, 
this that sound was gone in that scene. Oh, oh, oh! oh so but you I have it. I affected. I affected Star Wars. Uh, I don't know if I have it. I'd have to check. Oh, I if hope I do. If we do, we could do a director's oh, cut and dub that back in, and have it the full <laughs> rated R version. I don't know. I, I ditched so many of my VHS tapes. I don't know if I have. Well, it we gotta get a oh, VHS, geez. and we'll just take it, and one of us will gruffly go, "Oh fuck!" and and we'll, <laughs> we'll we'll muffle it up a little bit and put it in there, and just we can recreate the whole. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Wilford Brimley. There it is. He looks like a he no, looks like a grumpy old guy who says "fuck." So I, you know. Yeah, I could does. see it. I could see it getting. I could see it getting through. I could see somebody editing in like Lucasfilm going, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> well, he does kind of do a Mick Jagger and mumble it. Yeah, let's just see what happens. It's kids watching Perfect. it; they won't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I, I don't know. I mean. I've avoided it all these years, but uh, I, I could be down for it. I, I would say I'll, I'll, I'll put it out to <laughs> the listeners and, and also to Chris because you know I, I don't want to horn in on his uh, on his solo project. But if, if he no, doesn't no, have I would, objections, I, I mean I would guest on GMS. I would I would I, primarily I want to do it on a star, on the Star Wars podcast. Sure, I have no oh, okay. problem doing the the Ewok one, especially the first one, which isn't half bad. It's got some ridiculous. No, it is, it is half bad. You're fucking wrong, <laughs> but it's it's not all bad. Right? Okay. That, okay. It's well, got Tinkerbell in it. Through... <laughs> <laughs> I think if we follow you know through else? on the idea of doing these, you know, pretty much in the in the timeline as they came out when we were kids, following it right on up through, then. You know, we're also potentially down the road looking at like the the Ewoks cartoon and the droids cartoon, and you know, I've never really closely examined any Not of that. Not the Ewoks. Stuff. I've watched the droids ones, and I love Nelvana. Nelvana is a great animation house, but the stories for them were a little. Yeah, I'll have to watch them again. The droids ones were a lot better than the Ewoks, so I remember watching a little bit of Ewoks and going, "No, I can't do it." Yeah. The Ewoks were painful to watch. I mean, it hurt physically. Yeah. It was so bad. It was it was your typical, you know, late, yeah. mid '80s uh, furry animal yeah. cartoon. Yeah, and that you know, and, yeah. and just, that bad oh. animation. I don't think Nelvana had anything yeah. to do with that one because it had that just strawberry snort cake look of that bad <laughs> bad animation. Yeah, it really did. Well, see, I was more familiar with the with the spinoff Star Comics. You remember Star yeah. Comics? Yeah, and I, you know, because I was a devoted Star Wars fan, that up to that point bought anything and everything Star Wars that I could get my grubby little hands on. I bought those, and that was the first test of my true devotion <laughs> to Star Wars was those droids <laughs> and Ewoks comics. And I, I have to tell you, I failed the test because I dropped Ewoks pretty damn quick because it's. Sucked. I mean, it was really it was for little little I mean, kids. Yeah, exactly. It was made for like the like the kids, you know. But it was it was it wasn't like you know, Roald Dahl kitty stories that the adults can have fun. Right. With. Yeah. Or even yeah. like Harvey. I mean, I could read like a like a Hot Stuff or Richie Rich or something. These were like so yeah sugary sweet that you just wanted to puke you know so yeah I, I i couldn't hang with that shit but i'd like to watch the droids one just because uh i've heard i don't have any idea if this is really true or not but i heard that uh ig88 
turns up at some yes, point. Yes, he does. In this. Yeah, he oh, does. Okay. Yeah. I'd, I'd be on board for that. The, the theme song alone is worth watching. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I don't even remember oh, how it goes, but I just remember struck. It's very. Um, I'm not gonna have to bust out with a lyric. It's or two very anymore. not. It's very not <laughs> like any other Star Wars oh, theme. You, it, it's it's the sort of. Star Trek Enterprise of Star Wars themes, I think. Oh, no. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. It's like yeah, a song yeah. that's, you know, it's like crazy droids having adventures. Oh, In trouble again. <laughs> R2. Merman sings it or something. Yeah. But uh, on that note, I think we should, uh, we should come back and uh, start uh, grinding away on these Star Wars comics well hey right before we do that speaking of star wars comics i just want to throw out a quick recommendation to the nice. audience uh rush to your local lcs or wherever you uh, get your funny books from pick up the latest one shot of star wars purge it's the one that's called the hidden blade it has an awesome awesome picture of darth vader on the cover of it this is a great read it's a it's uh Another one of these stories that picks up like right after Order 66 and the events of uh, Revenge of the Sith with Darth Vader hunting down the remnants of, you know, whoever's left of the Jedi that, that tried to flee after Order 66 went down. Just a fantastic read. It's just a one shot. You know, you don't need anything going in other than having, you know, being familiar with the movie and all that. But, man, it was good. The art is absolutely fantastic. And it's just a really solid Darth Vader story and if you've always wanted to see a story of Vader just really seriously kicking some ass and showing just how ple completely badass it's Vader quote unquote young be. Darth Vader right when he's just, re uh, uh, yeah, just it's, recently yeah, it's Vader Darth start Vader. yeah exactly yeah yeah he's he's starting out he's trying to prove himself to his master by accomplishing this mission but what I really liked about it was that he's there basically kind of like he is in the beginning of return of the jedi he's there to you know put them back on schedule is the the reason the emperor has sent him to this planet yet as soon as he gets there and he realizes that there are rogue jedi involved with this rebel element that is you know throwing a cog into the wheel of imperial you know the imperial war machine then he pretty much foregoes his mandate and goes after the Jedi. And that's where the, the crux of the story really lies is, you know, Vader basically contradicting his master in order to pursue his own ends. And man, it's, it's fantastic. Typical. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a solid, solid one shot. And I highly recommend I it. I saw it last time I was at my comic shop and I didn't buy it for some reason. And, I'm going tomorrow, so maybe you maybe fool. I'll pick it up. I'll pick that up in that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, let's uh, let's go to break. We'll come back with uh, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. <laughs> Star Wars, the Clone Wars. <laughs> when surrounded by war. One must eventually choose a side.
Will the pacifist race of Sonic the Hedgehogs finally defend their stupid asses when the Evil Trade Federation decides to try out their new weapon on them? Find out. Hey, welcome back to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 20, and we're into the Clone Wars. And we've got another guest this month. You know him as Todd Grady, and we know him as Todd Grady. Well, one and the same. <laughs> what was that? In- he is here <laughs> through some jury-rigged computer, <laughs> iPhone system, Skype satellite duct tape yep macgyver type contrivance to 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 be on this show but fueled by rotten bananas i think i think we've actually pulled this guy into the clone wars show so you people out there better get used to it (laughs) because this is the way it's going to be from now on that's right todd is going to be our clone wars correspondent for what i'm worth (laughs) <laughs> we're calculating that right now actually interestingly enough we've, we're calculating how much you were worth today <laughs> I, could, I could probably help you out with that it's a real short equation when when we get to dragon con and get to the hotel room you'll be like why is there ice already in the uh in, the, in this uh <laughs> bathtub here i don't understand clonk <laughs> why are there surgical instruments on the couch? <laughs> oh yeah Anyway, Clone Wars. Yeah, now this one is the the second part of the uh, the, the Lion King planet uh, storyline with the little. You know, something occurred to me watching this today that yeah. did not occur to me watching the first part of this. All right, these little alien dudes are called the Lerman. All right, yes. switch those letters just around just a little bit, and it's like lemur. Oh, oh, come on, you know? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, I like the way this one winds up near the end because you finally get into some really good action. You know, there's the, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's the energy shield and there's a lot of fighting and blaster fire and lightsaber fights and all that. But, uh, I. You don't like the Lermans, don't you? No, I don't. I. I, Paging Mr. Lerman. Mr. Lerman. It's not that I don't like the the Lermans. I don't like the the old dude. I don't like the the whatever the hell he is, the leader guy, Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, he pisses he pisses me off. It's like fight, goddammit. They're gonna wipe your people out. What is wrong with you? Stop being a pussy. Pick up a stick and a rock and start beating some droids. I mean, they're not. You know, his whole speech in the beginning is, I know. you know, we, we can't take a life. We don't believe in violence against, and it's like they're, they're goddamn robots. robots, you know? Come on. I thought the well, same yeah, thing. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too, is you're not taking a life. You're, you're killing a robot, period. You, you don't need to worry about taking a life, except for the big fat guy, a.k.a. George Takai. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. you can just, t- was that George Takai? Yes, it yeah. was. Really? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. how awesome. George I didn't even I notice that. Yeah. <laughs> But they could have, you know, they could have just tied him up at the end. Say that again, Todd. I said I could spot George Takai's voice anywhere. <laughs> oh, my. I wanted him to say that one time, and he never did. I was disappointed. 
this one time. He did do the finger, the, the, the finger tapping, though. The nice villain finger tapping there in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, talk about your crossing the streams big time. You got a you got a major Star Trek icon in a in a Star Wars episode. That's oh, if they could cool. only get Shatner, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh my God, Shatner! Shatner's as a done Jedi. voice. He's done voice for cartoons before he did that. Um, he was oh, Kirk. Osmosis he was... Jones too. Well, yeah, he was Kirk. Right. Yeah, but he, he was... was a mayor in Osmosis Jones. <laughs> right. Oh, but I'm serious, dude. Kirk as a Jedi. On like like the 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 planet of the Twi'leks, and he has to like rescue like all the Twi'lek women or something, sh- some oh. shit like that. Come on, <laughs> please, that's please. Where are the green ones? It. We need to save some green ones. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, Kirstick, are you listening? You see him flying away at the end of it, and he's got a cargo hold full of green Twi'lek right. women. That would be Shatner awesome. will do anything, right? Shatner's done like super low budget, made for sci-fi movies and subs, yeah. stuff King- like even that. Come on, Kingdom of the Spiders and uh, and uh, what were the what was that commercial I played a while back? Lomans for like Lomans or Loblaws or Loblaws. something that like was that. Loblaws. Yeah, yeah Loblaws. <laughs> there could be Loblaw the Jedi Knight. <laughs> <laughs> it could be James T. Loblaw, Jedi Knight Esquire, and he's got to save the 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 green Twilight women. Or he could be a hut. God damn it! I'm gonna write that book right now. He should be a hut. He should be a oh <laughs> no. Sally Struthers should be a hut. <laughs> oh, that oh, would oh, be a coup oh. if they could pull that one off. <laughs> Put her through a vocoder so her voice is really low. <laughs> oh well, okay, let's get serious now. What now? Why the show now? is going uh, going crazy, man. <laughs> it's hard. No. It's hard to talk about this one because there's not. It's like a battle, and then there's just the. You, we we can gripe about the, you know. But the thing about it is, it's the, the what always comes up is with the, these pacifists are always sort of half pacifists about it too you know that so it's it's all just sort of a story structure so they right. can be there so at the end you know and this one had the subtext of the younger people you know you know talking some sense into the old guy and saying you know hey look we got to save our ray or whatever lesson learned i guess i really wish and i realize why they didn't do it because arguably this is a kid show and all that but the one thing that would have pushed this show from eh it was pretty good to okay that was really good would be if the old guy caught a laser blast in this that's one. what I, I was waiting for yeah i really wish that he'd got shot in this episode and that never happened i was disappointed <laughs> that. well you but know yeah, i mean Oh, you got the, opening, got the opening crawl with the, you know, the, I, I love the little quotes at the beginning. We always like to, my son and I always like to see what the quotes are. You know, it, this one, though, I, I had a voice in the back of my head the whole time. You know, the, and the quote at the beginning was the was like, uh, when surrounded by war, you've got to choose a side or something like that. Right. Something I could think of, I, I heard Mr. Miyagi in my head the whole time. <laughs> Walk on road. Walk a left side, safe. Walk a right side, safe. Walk a middle, Eventually, squish like a grape. It's the only thing I can the whole time. <laughs> That's what all those. Uh, this is one of the rare ones that actually has something to do with 
the the story usually it's almost like they put them in a cookie jar and just shook them up and pulled one out and tacked it onto the beginning. I think somebody's pulling them off one of those quote of the quote of the day calendars myself. <laughs> that's that's where I think they're coming from. A Yoda 365-day calendar. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. You know, we'll eventually get ones from, like, Winston Churchill and, and Patton and shit like that down the road. After Yoda. Yeah, first Yoda, though. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I... And, you know, there wasn't as much hedgehog rolling in this one as there was in the last one. You'd think they would have exploited <laughs> yeah, that more. Right when, was, the, uh, right when the young ones decided to fight, a few of them rolled out, and that was about it. A few of them it. rolled off, yeah, but... You know that was sort of that was sort of a sort of thing they like uh, had a little reveal to it as one of them just started jogging and then rolling and it was like oh that's cool, and uh, hence the Sonic the Hedgehog name and then it doesn't get you'd think there would be some sort of well I guess they never would have had any time to develop you know a strategy of rolling fighting so they were just making it up as they were going along but. It, it, you know, when it all comes down to it, the point is moot because they're just killing droids. They're just what? turning off a piece of machinery. And they actually didn't even do that. They, it's, You know, the ones that actually joined the fight wrapped a few up by the legs, dropped them down, and Ahsoka came by and And, and then them. finished them off, yeah. I like that part, yeah, where she ran the circle or, the like, the, the half-crescent shape there and, like, sawed all their heads off of the light. That was actually a really cool uh, visual. I like that. That was cool. Well, I hope yeah, they don't think in the cool. big karma book that they're getting away with that because they they killed those droids just as much as Ahsoka did, <laughs> even if they were trying <laughs> they, to get their hands They had hands their hands dirty. in it. Yeah. Can I... Uh... Can I have a With rant for just a moment? Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I just before we we started recording this segment, I went online because uh, I wasn't entirely convinced that was George Takei. I, you know, I wanted or. Is that right? Yeah, George Takei. I wanted to uh, look it up to make sure because I, I thought there was a possibility it might have been somebody just imitating just doing his it, voice yeah. or something. So I went online to look it up, and I I'm not sure what site I wound up on, but they, you know, they had like a little synopsis of the episode, and they also had like little trivia bits and stuff like that about it. I don't usually look at that stuff because I don't want to have it influence, you know, our take on it and, and our observations or what. But I was kind of looking it over, and there was one on there that was talking about, um, it, it said something to the effect of, I guess there was uh, an outcry about this episode because there's a, a segment during it. It's the part where um, Anakin and Ahsoka and the other Jedi, oh, what the hell was her name? Anyway, they, when they break, yeah. Where they all break into the uh, the droid barracks there and take them out and you know do their little sabotage thing and all that, where mm -hmm. you see Ahsoka attack the droids, but it's all done by showing a shadow on the wall as she takes these droids out, and I guess there was some fan outcry about the fact that her lightsaber was shown in shadow, like it cast a shadow on the wall. Really? And I just gotta say, come on, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, is that really the you know is, is that worth pissing and moaning about come on i mean 
are we that nitpicky that that we're bitching about lightsabers casting shadows on walls? I mean, they're is not that... making it completely realistic, Scott. Don't uh, you realize? So, you know, I, I, I look. I, there's a couple of websites I go to for various TV shows, and it, like, there's a, a lost website, Lostpedia, where they these guys break down every episode, and there's always a a continuity errors section at the bottom. So I can see that making like a you know a blooper list. Right. Right. But to really make a big deal about it, right. come on. Yeah, that that was just my thing about it was like they. I mean, of course, this site. Again, I don't know where I read this, but you know, they, they could have been exaggerating or what. But they made it sound like there was like a big stink about it. <laughs> I'm like, come on, is that really worth making? I mean, go it, to this link and sign the petition. <laughs> have it, yeah, have it digitally removed or whatever. Oh, I was like, come on, that's just. Ah, well, that it, thing drives it, me in crazy. about 15 years, George will George will release. A- modified version of this that he's fixed all of his errors in. Oh, he'll just have the software that'll turn it all into real people. Oh, that's right, yeah. By that time, so <clears throat> then it'll just be live action, quote-unquote live action. And he'll have Jabba the Hutt here and there, and yeah, we could. <laughs> I really don't have much on this one, I have to say. I enjoyed the episode, but uh, if I never see this storyline again with the, you know, with the you know, little little colony of pussy pacifists that just can't fight no matter how, you know, how much atrocity is about to be unleashed on them and all that. And then they finally get their balls at the end of the story and decide to fight back and defend themselves. I am so sick of this story at this point. Has this not been done to death? And I don't mean that as a harsh criticism of, I'm, don't get me wrong, it's, I'm not criticizing clone wars or this episode i'm just criticizing that particular storyline i'm really tired of that story because it's been done to death but that said well, i, I think, still like the episode I and mean, i think they're still at this point yeah you know, we're still i guess a little more than halfway through this the first season and they're just i guess really trying to establish the the creep factor and the the slow expansion you know of the of the separatists Right, we get it though. We we get it. So you can you can move on from here and give it some new stories. But yeah, this episode didn't really do much. Didn't didn't really advance the bigger story any, and didn't really even you know. Well, it, I it thought was, it was like, kind of weird. The story kind of. Oh, sorry. Yeah, it didn't suck, but it wasn't. Didn't really do a whole lot. Well, the the story had to sort of jump through a few hoops to to make it so because. Really, you know, I mean, it would have made sense if the reason the droids were coming there were to get the Jedi. That's, you know, that's usually how it goes. It's like, see, the Jedi, you Jedi brought the war here, but they wanted the Jedi to be not the reason, so it wouldn't be, it would be more of a story about their pacifism, I guess, than the Jedi bringing war to people. So they had to jump through all these hoops to be like, say like four times you know well they're not looking for the jedi and well we're just we're going to test out our weapon on on this village and really i mean what how much would you have to test out that weapon you know <laughs> it looks you know i think you've got a lot of places you can test a weapon you know usually like you say they're either there after the jedi they're there after some kind of a resource they're there to build some kind of a you know factory a base something like that but it, they had to find this one Pisswater planet with a little tribe of Scottish lemurs. 
to test their weapon. Right. Instead of <laughs> it, well, you know, I could see them trying it out, like they tried it out at first here, and then said, "Okay, this obviously destroys stuff. Let's go shoot it at some, you, you know, at, at some of our enemies and see how it works." Because they know it works, but why not test it out on and you know kill two birds with one stone? Instead yeah, of a, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I think you just want the lemurs dead. That's no, all. I don't. I, I I I see the logic in why they were going. I mean, because this was supposed to be some out of the way place that nobody gave a shit about, and they thought that they'd sneak in quietly, you know, bomb and kill these lemur guys, and nobody'd even notice or care or, or know that they had done it. And then if it worked, you know, then they could put the thing into production or whatever. I, I get that. I think that part of it works. The part of it that bothered me a little bit was the way it ends up at the end. I really, you know, it's like the episode just kind of runs out of time, but we don't really get to explore. I think the the head guy, you know, the, the old guy, the leader, should have been absolutely pissed at the end of the episode when you see the Republic cruisers coming down. Because right. is this not exactly what he didn't want? He, he, he wanted oh, yeah. to be left the hell alone. He didn't want to be on the Jedi side, and he didn't want to be on the Separatist side. He wanted them to just go on with their simple little Amish life and be left the fuck alone. And at right, the end or of else this, be dead. They'd rather be yeah. dead than be on either side. And at the end of it, it it's 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 Star Trekish in in that aspect of, well, okay, we get it. You know, you you guys are the good guys, so now we're going to let you come in and and run shit for us. And it's like, no, that's exactly what he didn't want. That's why he said when they met them, you know, we ran away from your war. We ran away from your government, and we established our own things so that we wouldn't get wrapped up in shit like this. And at the end of the episode, that's exactly what's happening. Here come the Republic. You man, know, you gonna... get, you, yeah, you're getting pretty passionate about these pacifists, man. It sounds, <laughs> you sounded a little like a pacifist yourself there, Pinky. <laughs> Them's fighting whites. No, I'm just saying, I, I, you know, it's not about the pacifism thing at the end of it. For me, it's about the fact Consistency that... Consistency with his character, I guess. But, yeah, you know, because... Yeah, the guy I, made a very quick turn from being... Yeah, we've done this for generations. We've we've lived like this for, you know, for generations, and it served us well. But you know what? You you convinced me. Yeah, well, I don't even know. For for me personally, I don't even know if it's that so much as that. He just—it's like quiet acceptance. I, I think it. I think this episode should have more ended where he was like. Urgh. You know, offered <laughs> grudging thanks, and then, and then was like, "Okay, now you seriously get the hell out of here." You know, thank right. you, but leave. Right. You know, and he didn't do that, and you, you get the you get the beauty shot of the ships coming down and all that, and it, you know, that we're all we're all good buddies, and and you know everything, and that's how it ends, and it just seems so counter to everything he said in the first part of this, where he said, "We don't want you here," so. I, I, yeah, it, it does come down to character inconsistency, I think. But then again, he—I think he was a little bit. Uh, um, I'm not sure the the word I want to. Almost like, like stunned or or stung or something by the fact that you know his son and and most of his people, you know, defied him, and and lent themselves to the battle and all that. So maybe he felt kind of. Uh, you know, embarrassed into just quiet acceptance or something. I I don't know. I'm I'm reaching, I guess. But you know what I'm going for. 
Yeah. <laughs> I hear you barking, dog. <laughs> but anyway, in the long run, hate pacifists. They could have got. They could have got. They could have got bombed. I wouldn't care. You don't want to fight? Die. I don't give a shit. Did we see any of them die in this battle? Did we see any of them get wiped out? I can't remember. No. I don't recall seeing any of them get get killed. I'm almost yeah, positive. Random, yeah, random blaster shots going through houses and things like that, but I don't think you saw any any bodies hit the ground. Yeah, I'm almost positive you didn't because, believe it or not, I actually had that thought while I was watching it of, I wonder if we're going to get the dead Ewok scene. And I don't remember ever seeing it one time, so... But again, I wonder if that's, you know, if that, you know, again, gets chalked up to this being arguably a kid's show. So they don't want to, you know, they don't want to traumatize little Johnny by sure. showing, uh, you know, the, the, the little Ewok scene, you know. Well, you I know think what. this show is also since, you know, we've I mean, in, in real in real time, I think it's no secret that the second season just pretty much wiped wound down and is done. Mm-hmm. So this and as this show's been going on I think they've been realizing maybe that more and more their audience is adult because it has been getting more adult oh, yeah. as it goes yeah. along so I'll agree with that so halfway well, through the first it season it's a little it's a little bit kiddie but yeah they put it on a time slot even on Cartoon Network that you know it doesn't come on until 9 o'clock on a Friday night so it's not you know they've got it in a slot that's not going to be your you know your typical 7 to you know 7 to 10 year old up watching it at nine o'clock it's it's going to be you know an 11 year old on up that's watching it so i think they've realized they can kind of ramp it up a little bit uh-huh yeah i believe i think they have too well but it's even, the same even people so are watching even in the, the movie, second so. season i don't know that we would have got an episode that would show little little lemur guys getting wiped out either though i honestly i i, I think that 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 takes some guts and i think that's uh, a line Let's that's get a very started. delicate yeah you know to to trick yeah. <laughs> start a possibly but i mean they did the whole you know season two they got into a you know a kidnapping ring of you know kidnapping for sensitive children and stuff like that so they, they got a little bit more creepy and uh and edgy in the in season two that's true that's true what did you what did you think of this episode todd did you did you enjoy it or yeah, yeah, like uh, kind of the same as you. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't one that would make me want to go back and watch this episode again. Um, you know, nothing, nothing particular earth-shattering about it. Wasn't that cool? Uh, you know, the, the fight scenes were fine, but not, you know, not anything that that I just went, yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm more. I I'm not a big fan of Lion King world type stories. You know, <laughs> although I did like Avatar. And that was sort of a Lion King world type story. But, yeah, I you know what I don't like about it the most? And they even had it in Avatar 2, but is the didgeridoo music and the, the you know, the flutes and... Hey, I'm pretty it, good at that. I'm going to release an album now. It, all that stuff, for some reason, it reminds me of Oprah Winfrey. You know, that just sort of, it's like... Afro what world the hell music. does Oprah Winfrey have to do <laughs> with Diggory? It's got that because because <laughs> I wouldn't do her if she was the last immigrant grocer on earth. Wow. 
You asked. <laughs> no, because it's that sort of it's that sort of bland world beat politically correct music-y sort of stuff that's like it's from Africa but it's not really it's from like a studio with like studio musicians that, uh, anyway we Sorry. lost that <laughs> do you like how I mixed musical instruments Oprah Winfrey and David Lee Roth all together into one little bundle that Scott sort of choked on. Actually, I think it was the. Uh, I think it was more digitally doing. Over yeah. <laughs> I've heard. I've heard them referred to as didgeridons too. <laughs> she. She is the world's biggest didgeridon. <laughs> Uh, one thing Scott and I share besides Star Trek and Star Wars is a hatred of Oprah Winfrey. Oh, that bitch must die. <clears throat> and she will, just like every one of us. She is. She is creepy. Just the, what? Just I'm the sorry? look of her face is just insanely creepy. I don't know what she does. Yeah. I think she. I predict she's going to die like Elvis. On the can. Just fat cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> the whole nine yards. Her lap or something. Yeah, a yeah. uh, porno magazine on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> well, we're just about reaching that half hour mark. Yeah, I hope I, I, hope I padded it out a little there with our. Uh, it's somehow really connecting. Just not a uh, a Clone Wars review until you talk about Oprah <laughs> dead on the toilet with a bucket of KFC. I guess a KFC. <laughs> I just still. I just. I like the cheeseburger. It's classic. It fits in your hand, <laughs> or, or it could just be just sort of put in your mouth like the pig with the apple in it. You know, at the in the Roman feast. <laughs> oh, I was thinking of Monte Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> A nice deep fried sandwich. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Uh. <laughs> oh. Ah. <sighs> yes. Well, next month we'll be reviewing Clone Wars episode, what is it, 15 next? 15. Which, I don't know if we taught, we were talking it up at, that it, when we had um, George Kirstick on the, within the last couple episodes, but. We were actually incorrect. That's not one of the ones he wrote. It's that one's a little further down the road, but I think we had the name right because it's Storm over Ryloth. But for some reason, I have Thought had it in my next. head that it was episode fifteen, and it's not. It's episode nineteen. So it's a little bit further down the road yet. So if I had advertised it that way, I apologize. I was wrong. Wrong. But the one that is next, if I'm correct, it's a pretty awesome episode. I'm pretty sure it's the one with the uh, with the ice planet. It's like the the Hoth like planet, and uh, I really like that one. So I'm looking forward to that one. That was the one that we ended up yeah, seeing, so. the the that really pretty girly in her Natalie Portman Hoth type uniform. Wasn't yeah, it? wasn't it from yeah. this episode? No, 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 no. Because she, well. I don't know, is Padme in? I don't think Padme's in this one. Or, is she? 
Because you're talking about the girl that was dressed like Padme in the in the snow outfit, right? And she was in the snow outfit, yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's different because that was from the uh, the hand drawn, um, oh. or, you know, the, the cartoon yeah. version of Clone Wars. Is that one where she and uh, it was Padme like and or whatever yeah, his name is, and Yoda and and the droids were on that that ice planet. Ah, uh, oh. wow, very good. <laughs> it was very good. It was a good thing. <laughs> Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away. There exists a state of cosmic civil war. A brave alliance of underground freedom fighters has challenged the tyranny and oppression of the awesome Galactic Empire. This is their story. Stan Lee presents Star Wars, the greatest space fantasy of all. All right, we're back with Star Wars Monthly Monday number 20. We're in the Marvel Comics part, and... uh... Once again, we're joined with, uh, from the first segment, the Irredeemable Shag, who will be talking Star Wars comics with us. Wait, wait, before we do that, hold on. I, I got to get something off my chest. Something that's been bugging the hell out of me oh, for yeah? 20 years. Yeah, and, and, okay, maybe you guys can follow me on this, or maybe you just sit back and go, <laughs> that guy's batshit crazy. I don't know which, but whatever. Or um, both. Both. <laughs> right. So, the, the, the name Antilles, Okay. Follow with me here. Bail, bail Antilles. Uh, bail or, well, either way. Wedge Antilles, all of that. As a kid growing up, you know, we all knew that Wedge Antilles, you know, that was his name. Then there was some vague references, which I'm having trouble locking down now in my, in my you know, sunset years here, but where Bo- Bail Organa was referred to as Bail Organa Antilles. Antilles, yes. Right, yeah. Okay, so you guys have heard that too. Yes. Yes. So my friends and I, before episode one, two, and three were done, we would sit around, as you know, people are wont to do, and argue what episodes one, two, and three would have been like. And there was this huge freaking argument we always had about whether, you know, would would the Antilles family, the clan, would the first trilogy be about the Antilles clan and find out that you know that's where you know Leia's connected to and Wedge and it's all interwoven. And then the other side of the room would be arguing, no, Antilles is the Smith of the Star Wars universe because, you know, you had Captain Antilles as well from the right. Tantum Four. Oh, so, yeah. and then we get to, we get to episode one, two, and three and I, I don't think we heard the one name Antilles once in the whole damn trilogy. You know, you're right. And, uh, I, I, that's one of my, my, believe it or not, it's one of my big regrets about the prequel trilogy is that, uh, you know, we do finally get to see Bail Antilles but we really don't see much of him. And it's a shame on two fronts because, for one, I think there was a lot of buildup of that character, particularly if you ever listened to the uh, the radio drama for the first mm-hmm. movie. I mean, Bail Antilles was a, or Bail Organa, take your pick, was a pretty big character in that. And they really, you know, they made something of him beyond him just being a name like he was in the movie, right. you know, the for, for the original Star Wars. But then on the other hand, the, the guy who plays him, and the guy's name is totally escaping me at the moment. Jimmy Smith. But, uh, Jimmy Smith, yeah. He's a yeah. hell of a good actor. 
And Absolutely. it's a shame that he didn't get some more screen time in there. Now, there, I know <laughs> his, his, his big moment in episode two is he punches the uh, the 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 little bridge they're sitting on as as he watched the troopers walk away. He's like, <sighs> yeah. That's his big, yeah big <laughs> and otherwise, moment. he just stands there like a prop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. basically, a prop with like coming in episode three, a few more scenes of Jimmy Smith's. Yeah. <laughs> he sits at well, the conference table at the end. Was he in the? I'm pretty sure he's in the cut scene from uh, from episode three, where with the, the rebel with alliance. The, yeah, with Mon Mothma, where the rebel alliance is basically formed. Isn't he in that part? Yes, I believe he is. Yeah. Wow, I've yeah. never seen that cut scene. That's cool. Yeah, I I don't know where I've seen it. I don't know if it's on the DVD or I believe it's in the comic too. Because that was that was always the big deal. Was you know he was one of the central people that helped form the Rebel Alliance. Right. Yeah, it had him and Mon Mothma and 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 Amadimajad were all planning the their little (laughs) terrorist their little terrorist cell at that point. Right. The hand job was that what you just said? The hand job. <laughs> Remember that game? So there was actually another guy cast as um, Bale Antilles in episode one, and he must have got cut. I uh, uh, I have I have this little Star Wars episode one who's who book, a uh, little pocket book thing, and there's a picture of this guy in this formal prince type outfit. And it's you know Prince Bale Antilles is what it actually says. Prominent senator of the Republic from Alderaan. Prince Bale Antilles is nominee for to succeed Valorum as Supreme Chancellor. Yeah, I so, read all about this. And it's, not, uh, and it's not. It's not Jimmy Smith. I read all about the the, the character on I don't know something. It's probably Wikipedia or, or you know Wikipedia or something like that. Right. But uh, I found him to be one of the most convoluted and confusing characters because he's one of the earliest retcons in the star Wars universe because of that name confusion. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't give you the complete skinny now, but to my, my understanding walking away from that article was that they are now two distinct characters. There is an, a, a bale Antilles and a bale Organa or, Organa is Leia's adoptive father, and Antilles is a whole different person. I so, think. so maybe Bale is the uh, John of... Yeah. Right. Well, apparently John Bale of... is the John, and Antilles is the Smith. The Smith, you've got the yeah. Cat, you've got the or captain, maybe it's Jim and Smith. Oh. <laughs> that was almost like a David Letterman moment. You brought it all back together. That was impressive. All right. Comic. Sorry. My fault. I, <laughs> no, I'll no, do not my, at all. I'll do my Paul Schaefer. Yeah. <laughs> Very funny, Dave. <laughs> All right, <Awesome. laughs> it's great. I'm 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 in a band, and I got great joy over somebody dropped one of those. You know the the pens that everybody autographs that are like gold, shiny. So I just took my keyboard one day, and I wrote best in, in just a scrawl. You know, best wishes, Paul Schaefer. <laughs> on my keyboard and now like 20 years down the line everybody in rochester is just like have you ever seen this paul schaefer autographed <laughs> i hope none of them are listening right now because it'll blow the whole mystique but right they thought my keyboard was blessed by paul schaefer for what that's worth anyway yes comic books that's right it was all about me there for a second it's all about you again <laughs> motherfucker you're the one that's up let's go let's go all right, first up, <laughs> shut up, fuck you. First up, 
We've got Star Wars number 48, goons. And uh, <laughs> this one comes all the way from June 1981. Um, we've got Larry Hama is writing this time, which is the first time I think he's ever written. Yeah, I'm not a big fan either. And uh, No, 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 don't get me wrong. Now, I wasn't sighing about Larry Hama because I, I like Larry Hama. But, yeah, yeah I'm just going to call it what it is. Lara Hammett doesn't know shit about how the Empire and the Rebellion she, work. I don't think he should story. write Star Wars, yes. Yeah, anyway, yeah. and, of, Go and back we've to got G. Joe, Larry the, the art team is Carmine Infantino and Car- Carlos Garzon. Garzon? 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 One of those two. <laughs> and, is that and, the and, karate kid technique? And, and, <laughs> yes, exactly. Garzon? Garzon? <laughs> and, uh, and they don't really say it, but I'm assuming that that Garzon's Garzon is is uh, inking and Infantino's yes. penciling. So, um, all right, Leia and the droids and uh, a general tardy travel to the banking world of Argao to secure a loan for some new X-wing fighters. Uh, the planet has three rules, just like Gremlins: don't remove <laughs> their precious precious metals. No weapons for visitors, but all natives of the planet must, by law, have weapons. And number three is don't defraud, discredit, or deceive the bank or feed it after midnight. They also follow <laughs> extremely formal and complex protocols in their banking transaction. That's why Tardy's there. He's uh, expert in their traditions. So, uh, unfortunately, when they show up, Vader is also there with... Uh, Three thuggish assassins of all different races who specialize in killing with their bare hands since nobody could be armed. But, of course, Leia and Vader both have their diplomatic attache cases with them, which can't be searched. So you can just about figure out what's going to be in either one of those. So, um, you know, one of one of his he's got three assassins with him. One of them sort of this super dense high gravity guy. Another's a shapeshifter and one's telekinetic. So Leah figures these guys are here to kill Tardy and scuttle the loan deal. And this seems to be the case when uh, all three try to off Tardy in their, you know, unique ways. But in each case, Leia pretty much dispatches them in some sort of clever way and and manages to, like, send Darth Vader away with the equivalent of a facepalm, you know, and a shape. It, it's just ridiculous. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, the, the princess, at, at one, after they've offed all the assassins, there's a standoff, and, of course, Vader pulls his lightsaber from his attache case and, and you know, slashes General Tardy to death. And uh, Princess Leia films all this to get Vader on film, you know, using a weapon so that he can be shown to be breaking the rules. And we find out General Tardy is actually a robot that they brought with them to just sort of distract Vader because they've already made the deal and for, you know, for their, um, oh, wh- what are they, what, what what do you want to call it? What they were putting up for, uh, for their loan. She collateral. Used her collateral. She used the, uh, the Alderaan crown jewels and they'd already done the deal, but they just had the robot tardy dude uh, to distract Vader and his, and his goons. And, uh, so, you know, Vader, of course, sort of gets the, the last laugh in this one because he was actually using the assassins to distract them from the fact that he was really after the crown jewels, 
which he acquired with a bribe to uh, one of the cor a corrupt banker. And uh, now he leaves literally laughing all the way from the bank. And that's the end of issue number 48. Probably one of the worst Star Wars comics I've ever read in my life. Absolutely. That Absolutely. Is, I well that, uh, yeah, that and is I don't nice. often, I'm usually... I'm usually trying to find something good about all of, about no matter the goofiest one of these, but Jesus Christ, Larry Hama, you're not cut out for writing Star Wars, or at least not at this point. You're underprepared or something. Because <laughs> what the hell is this this issue? It's like it's like this whole like comedy thing with Vader getting scuttled and like oh those. It's like the three a Three Stooges routine with yeah. Darth Vader is Mo. I'll tell you what it is, and the minute I say it, you'll go, ah, oh, it's Spy versus Spy. It's yes. just what it is. It's oh, it sure is. Yeah. yeah. It's terrible. I, I, I like want, that I analogy. Th I want to personally I'm thank sorry. you guys for – I just want to say I want to – I'm stepping all over you. I'm sorry. No, say, no, I no. Go ahead. I want to personally thank you guys for inviting me uh, to be on your show to review the worst Star Wars comic <laughs> ever. <laughs> Thanks. We're going to have the worst, but you're going to get the worst and the first for you anyway so you got to take the bad with the good i guess there we go there we there go. go being go a guest on true true freaks is bittersweet folks so remember that when you want to be on <laughs> well as i as i teased at the end of last episode i honestly think that we we go from at this point anyway the worst one to you know one of the absolute best ones so i i, I still kind of think that way too but uh I, I shag i really liked your analogy of the spy versus spy much better than my own analogy which was this felt to me like the invisible invisible girl versus dr doom story because you know this is marvel comics after all the the shot, the last panel on page 12, where Vader's <laughs> doing very much a Doctor Doom curses Richard, you son of a bitch kind of pose with his fists and all that. And yeah, well, dude, it, for those of you who can't see this, I, I was going to mention this too. I'm glad you did. The, he's standing there with his fist raised, and there's little wiggle lines around his fist. fist it's as yeah. if he's going, Ooh, I'm going to get you. That Leah. He's oh, doing a she yeah, gets on my totally nerves. Going, he's all worked up, you know. Yeah. Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned that page. It Drag Nabbit. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, and and come on. After it's like, okay, maybe this story would have flown a little bit pre-Empire. It has a feel of a Star Wars comic pre-Empire. Yes, very you know, much so. Of where it's like, okay, it, can Darth Vader after after what happened in the Empire Strikes Back? Can you really have a story this soon after it with Darth Vader as a comedic foil? You know? I mean, come on. You know, they developed his character so much. And there's actually one of my favorites is page 26, which has my frowny face Darth Vader, the sad Darth Vader, right in the middle of the page. Look at his, his head's all squished <laughs> down. He's got his little sour puss on. <laughs> so awesome. nothing really worked for me on this one. Not the art, not the story. It was just, just plain stupid. The crown jewel, for one, the crown Hey, what's she doing with the crown jewels of Alderaan? Aren't they, like, melted to slag in the... You would think so, yeah. And, and at the same time, okay, she puts them up for... When you put something up for collateral, as collateral, you don't give it to the bank. You don't give your house to the bank. You, you know, you don't bring it to the bank and give it to them. You have it as collateral... And they take it if you don't pay. And 
it's just you know the and and the fact that this that this they really established this banking thing as being the most anal retentive world that you could possibly think of whereas if okay so if you're a guy who works in the bank that's corrupt you probably get drawn and quartered so really they got somebody in this that's willing to like barter away the the crown jewels of Alderaan what happens when you know she needs those back when they pay back their loan or whatever I mean I thought it was interesting at first to see that that you know okay there's an amoral banking world that's funding both sides the rebellion and the empire that's very could be a kind of interesting political story as far as you know Marvel Comics is going to go for the kitty teenager stuff but I thought maybe that might be interesting but no it was all just <laughs> just stupid stuff to that was all just stupid stuff to throw in the general tardy and did either of you guys notice that there was a captain rolex in this Yes, I got a big, <laughs> big laugh out of that. They're just like, well, give you know, give your IDs to Captain Rolex or something like that. He's just an incidental character. And I'm like, really? You, you think Larry Hamill is sitting there like, I don't know what well, what comic book writers get paid? He probably didn't look down and say, I need a name for this guy, Captain uh, Rolex. So, I don't know if I don't know if that's just a. It's funny now because Rolex wasn't even in our vocabulary then, but. I thought that was very funny. It reminded me of a George Lucas name, you know. Well, I looked Tardy up on Wikipedia, and his first name is Ree. Yeah. R-E-I, Tardy. <laughs> That's a way homer, guys. Just just give it a little time. It'll come to you. <laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you have some more notes? Because I actually, believe it or not, have a shitload of notes for this issue. So. Have at it, Haas. That's all right, so here we go. I've got a few. You go, and then I'll uh, follow okay. up. Okay. Yeah, feel. I'm going to kind of go in a sort of order here, so feel free to, to jump in any time here. We'll kind of hit them in order through the issue. But right off the bat, inside front cover, I loved this ad. This was all over the comics of the time. It's the uh, Attack of the Mutants role-playing game ad. I, just, I, I have that. Oh, did you really? I ordered you? that when I was a kid. Yes, I still have it. <laughs> Oh my god! Because yes. like you, I love this ad. The guy, the, the scientist playing with the slide rule and the zombies coming up behind him—it's so cool. Yeah, Quinto I Publications. It. I actually, I still have it. It's quite a weird little thing too, and it's all illustrated by that same illustrator. Well, that's like awesome. the uh, the robot with the—he uh, looks like Number Five from Short Circuit, yes. holding a, an M16 and just pumping out some rounds. And later on, we would see something kind of like this in the special edition to uh, Aliens. So I got, I got a real kick out of that. <laughs> that yeah. was cool. Um, you know, this this issue isn't all bad because one thing it does have working for it is I think the art's pretty good in this one. Uh, R2-D2, I think this is the very best that Infantino ever drew R2. He looks pretty good in just about every single panel, which is really saying something because... Up to this point, Infantino, Infantino really had some problems with R2 and 3PO, and 3PO's not bad either. I mean, he's a little chunky in a couple of panels, but for the most part, he finally got R2 and 3PO looking pretty good. And Vader has a couple of moments where his head looks a little fat. Yeah. But, like, panels three and four on page 14 where he chokes the uh, the vampire-looking shapeshifter dude, that's some good-looking Darth Vader right there. I like that stuff. Yes, it is. 
So yeah. that that looks cool. So it's it's not I, all bad. I, I will say in regard to the art, I, I'm I like Infantino in pre-Empire stuff. I, I do feel like he's out of place after Empire, but I get yes. this is still transition. But I will say he draws a hella sexy Leia. He, well, he he's really obsessed does. with her boobs. He loves to oh, draw ooh, like the co- the boobs that Dude. are way, that way bigger and more conical than than Carrie Fisher's. And yeah, he. He gets, she, she, she's got the booty going on. Look at the bottom of page three. I mean, he's he's got the he's got a whole thing for her all the way around. Oh yeah, page twenty six. He's got her with her leg out with a garter around it. Yeah, yeah. I like uh, I like her hair. She's finally wearing something other than than the damn buns on the side of her head. In this, she she I think she looks really sexy in this mm-hmm. issue. And all right, we're yeah. gonna take a ten minute break. Yeah. And we'll be right back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! Pages three and four are stuck together in my book. Yeah. Anyway, oh man. Oh, all right. What, the, now... li- the lifesavers ad? What? <laughs> Sicko. Is, uh... Aim for the center of the green lifesaver. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I thought that was just green M Ms. Oh. <laughs> All right, so right off the bat on page one, you've got the guy that welcomes them to the planet, and he says, uh, welcome uh, in the name of the sacred balance. And I'm like, really? Come on. (laughs) All right, page two. This isn't so much a criticism of this particular issue, but of Marvel's Star Wars in general. Do they not have friggin' handrails in the Star Wars universe in Marvel Comics? I mean, what is keeping like a child or somebody who's wearing a helmet and can't see very good from just walking off one of these platforms. Gravity you know? generators. Well, I guess. Yeah, all right, I'll, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. I get a no prize. <laughs> <laughs> and r has got his rockets, right? Right? Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> now, I, I, I just I have to say, I really think that Larry Hama doesn't understand how empires and rebellions work. I mean, are there really <laughs> planets that are like these safe havens where it's okay? They're called for... banks, yes. No, banks do do stuff like banks do fund both sides of wars, you know? It, it, and I can get behind that, but the idea that Leia and Vader can hang out in the same room right. and act like 1980s, you know, very corporate you know, business rivals. No, Vader could Vader could have squeezed the life out of Leia in two seconds flat at any point. You know, he could have exactly. just done it for. And he mentions something and says why he doesn't do it, but it's bullshit. Yeah, well, that that actually goes into one of my notes that's a little bit further down the road. But since you bring it up, I'll mention it here. Is that what the hell does Darth Vader? Uh, excuse me. What the hell does Darth Vader need to employ a telekinetic for? He uses the exactly. goddamn <laughs> <laughs> so what does he need this dude for? It's just a waste of money, right? Oh, that that part drives me absolutely crazy. But uh, um, oh, I love this. This is probably my favorite moment of this entire book, actually, because I think this is very, very funny. It's the point where uh, it's the last panel on page six, where they're all standing there, and uh, and Leia says. Uh, the Emperor sent Darth Vader to stop the X-Wing fighter loan. A simple task, really. All he has to do is destroy Tardy. And Tardy's there in I'm the right panel. right here, but he's a robot. She knows says, he's a robot. Um, 
you do know I'm standing right here. Right? <laughs> He's a robot, though, so she doesn't I care. I know, but still, it's really... Yeah, at okay. that point, you don't I'll... know it either, so it's just like, yeah, that's kind of rude. Right. And she doesn't even say kill. She says destroy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all right, about the robot thing, again, jumping ahead in my notes a little bit since you brought it up. Okay, so what you're telling me essentially is that before setting out on this mission she stopped by shield headquarters and nick fury lent her a life model <laughs> decoy for tardy is that is that really where Basically, we're going with this story yeah i mean yep. for christ's sakes come on now as a kid I did think that the uh, the scene with Leia taking out Vader's porter with the gravity device was was kind of cool. But now, as an adult reading this story, I'm wondering, <laughs> yeah. you know, she says that these devices are available in any spaceport shop, and I'm thinking, what the really? fuck do you need one of these things for? Oh, could you imagine <laughs> if we got a hold of those when we were like 13 years old? Come on, <laughs> yeah, right. There would not be a telephone pole in Carthage or Watertown exactly. today. Yeah, exactly. Or- or school teacher left probably either. Oh, there would be many a school teacher that would be nothing but a hole in the ground. <laughs> All right, the thing with uh, with R two D two projecting a hologram of Tardy over <laughs> and, a... and Darth Vader doesn't notice. Right. Well, nobody notices, but also, I mean, have we not established at this point that holograms aren't, they don't really work that way in Star Wars, do they? I mean, they're not like these perfect. No, they have TV lines. Yeah, exactly. You know, I don't, I mean. Maybe R2 saves battery power and doesn't go on high def all the time or Blu-ray. You know, he was using (laughs) his Blu-ray setting this time. Remember we, I got, I can't remember. What was it, Chris, that we talked about where this came up before? Remember the idea that. Oh, you can it just was, throw I, a hologram over something. Right. I think it was one of those. I think it was one of those. Um, you know, like uh, like Obi Wan and young Anakin stories that I read way way back in one of my book reviews, that had something to do with like like more like Star Trek holodeck style holograms. You know, like the perfect. Mm that you can't tell, you know, reality from the hologram. And we got into a big discussion about had we ever seen that in Star Wars. And I'm I'm still maintaining that. I don't think we have. I think they're all, like yeah. you say, they've all got the TV lines, yeah. don't they? Yeah. It's, it's, so. it's the hologram of the guy in Empire Strikes Back before the guy, all the Star Destroyer commanders, and the, his shield generator gets smashed by a meteor and yeah. you see him disappear in that one split-second scene. That's what a hologram in Star Wars is. It's right. a little crappy, fuzzy, you know, blurry thing. Yeah, it looks like an old exactly. TV projection. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't buy these stories where they've got the, the holograms like this. I just thought of <laughs> well, something. I'm gonna, I'm, oh, go, I'm, ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, Chris. Uh, just, a, just a quick point. This is titled The Third Law. But what does mm-hmm. this story really have to do with that third law? I just realized that. <laughs> Nothing. Nobody really Nothing. falls afoul of the laws, even though they sort of break them in here. But it has nothing to do it. Yeah. Well, I, they are deceiving the bank. Yeah, they are. But at the same point, it really doesn't like factor into the story, like the law coming in. I don't know. I think it I just made a jazzy title, and that was about it. Yeah, I've only got one more thing, and it concerns uh, the letters page. So what, what have you got, Shag? 
Well, you're talking about the, the you talked about the guy that got sucked to the center of the planet. You talked about the hologram one. In the middle, uh, there's the shape changer death. He, he he turns into a butterfly, and Leia, fully well aware that he's a shape changer, just flat out squashes him. I mean, she makes no bones about. It. She is a cold-blooded killer yeah. right then and there. Just stomps on him and smiles, and her little booty shaking. She's like, "Hey, wipe this and, uh, off my foot, Darth Vader." Exactly. So I was like, "Wow, okay, yeah." And uh, my last comments about the letters page is probably the same thing you've got too. Oh, no, I did have one more thing. You guys pointed something out in the last podcast, which I didn't pick up on, and I'm like, "Oh, ding!" Huge light bulb. Post Empire, they were doing one issue per character or set of characters like you know Lando and Chewie had their issue the droids had their issue Luke had an issue this is Leia's issue yep 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 and, and this is the last of those because next issue they kind of you know everything changes so yep. this is the last of the character focus issues yep very much so you know that panel that you just referenced after she squishes the shape changer I just realized for the first time that the way her ass is drawn <laughs> almost makes it look like she has like a like a gossamer style, you know, like you get, like almost like a see through yep. outfit. That oh, I like that. I like that very much. I'm gonna have to come back to this issue later on after we're done with <laughs> But uh, in the letters pages, I really loved that uh, the same thing that Chris and I were giving the the, uh, the uh, probot story shit for. They call them out in the letters pages in this one about the issue of Luke suddenly having his lightsaber again. And I, I like that the, you know, there's two letters doing this. And then in the rebuttal, they say that they were basically flooded with a whole lot of people that, yeah, we got called out on this, but they do offer an explanation, which is, you know, you have to remember this was, just after the movie, they had absolutely no idea what was going to happen in uh, Return of the Jedi, at this point still called Revenge of the Jedi. And so they maintain that if Luke could draw his lightsaber to himself, you know, to free himself from the Wampa Cave, why couldn't he have drawn his lightsaber to himself as he fell or after he fell down into the shafts in Bespin? And, you know, all right, I'll buy that. I'll go along with that. Run know, with that for that. now, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't see him... We didn't see him do it, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. But yeah, honestly, what I think they should have done, and I think, again, this is really, really, really drawing on my, my very faulty memory. But I think that the next issue, number 49, I think I may have gotten, I think this may be my first post-Empire issue I had as a kid. And I'm thinking that maybe I thought Luke got his lightsaber at some point in between or something. But I think what they might have done was this next story. I kind of wonder if maybe they should have done this as one of the very first post empire stories. And the character that Luke's going to meet in this story, if Luke should have got his lightsaber from that guy, I think that uh, might've been a tidier way to tie the whole thing yeah, up. You know what I, that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. But, uh, we got anything else, or are we ready to uh, go into said issue? I am. I am happy to close out the worst issue of Star Wars ever. <laughs> now, this is. I'm going to reiterate. I think this is the worst one so far. But let's let's reexamine that when we get to the end of the series and see what we finally what the final tally is on the worst issue. Because in my memory. There's, there's at least more. one other issue. There's, well, there's one other one I can think of that I think may 
be worse than this one. Is that the wedge issue that you hate? Yes. God, I it's hate not. That. It's not that bad. Is it's it not? not bad. Okay. Well, see, I haven't read it since False. I was a kid. I just remember throwing it down in disgust, going, "God damn it! You're not talking about wedge. You got the wrong character here." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They really shouldn't have called him wedge. They should have called him somebody else. But other than that, yeah. it's not that bad. So. Well, I thought it was um, basically they were confusing wedge for Biggs, weren't they? Kind of, or or something like that. Yeah. It's it's screwed up somehow. They they've got the wrong origin for for the wrong character or something to that effect. <laughs> I, I want to put a quick plug in for you guys because you've talked about it before. Um, the Star Wars a long time ago trade paperbacks. Yeah. I uh, I, I own some of them, and uh, let me tell you, I actually getting ready for this. I reread these issues in the trade paperback, and then busted out the issues later because, guys, these things are gorgeous. The the yeah. coloring is vibrant. You know, you, you don't get a lot of that bleed through that you still get with some of these older. I mean, like in this issue we're about to do, some of these pages I'm, I was having a hard time making out what's going on because the coloring is so bad. And in these uh, Dark Horse long time ago trades, which are mostly out of print now, but you can get them not too bad. Uh, expect, well, you know, you know they're coming back as Omnibuy. That's so, true. You're right. Yeah, that's probably the, the, the first that's probably the better way to go. Solicited and uh, and I purchased it, but it has not actually been released yet. And then coming up, you got, got to keep an eye out because I'm not sure exactly when it's going to, to hit the solicits, but it's got to be soon, will be the second volume, which will cover issues, I, I want to say it's like 28, I think, 27 or 28, right up to the issue I'm about to discuss, number 49. And I'm really looking forward to that one because I'm glad you brought up the thing about the recoloring because I forgot to make a note of that. But yeah, the, the that was the reason I wanted to seek out the series you're talking about the uh, long time ago because I keep hearing this specific issue mentioned in that that you know that the coloring is really bad and rereading this I noticed what they were talking about that it is it the coloring is really wonky yeah and, and like bleed you know a lot of bleed and a lot of like solid the blacks are just a disaster yeah. yeah so I'm looking forward to seeing that you know the way it was meant to be type of deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's, it's fair to say, I guess someone's worried. I mean, they, they were faithful to the colors in the original one. They didn't change all the colors and go all high-tech. It's just, it's clean. You know, right. it, it just looks gorgeous. So, anyway, sorry. Side no, no, track. not at all. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I, I meant to bring that up myself about, uh, uh, I, I hope that people will uh, pursue those. Because the ones you're talking about was the first release. They were called uh, Star Wars a long time ago. And I don't know how many issues they did per trade. Oh, but, well, per uh, there were seven there's seven volumes total. Okay, so out of 107 issues, then that's what is that? About 12 a 12 a trade or something yeah, like that. Some, somewhere in that ballpark. But, now uh, the omni the omnibus you're talking about from what I understand, they're going to include some of the British stuff, which yes. is going to be really cool. Yeah, so you're not only getting you know the the Star Wars, you know the American stuff, but they're yeah, they're throwing it cuz that's what they're doing with the 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 omnibus I was talking about earlier like uh Rise of the Sith and um, uh, Emissaries and Assassins, they are incorporating all kinds of rare and out-of-print stuff, and I'm loving those because they're doing it in like a chronological format. So I'm looking forward to re-examining this stuff in those Omnibi, even though I have all the individual issues. I want to see the recoloring. I want to see all this rare stuff that they're going to uh, to add in there as bonuses and stuff. Plus, it's cheaper. I mean, you're going to mm -hmm. get you know, 20, I think it's the first volume I'm pretty sure is the first 27 issues. 
And, you know, if you catch it on a good solicit or on a good site, like, uh, say, like uh, in-stock trades or something, I mean, 16 bucks for mm-hmm. 27 issues of Star Wars? I mean, that's a hell of a good deal, and it's going to look prettier than the originals. So, you know, you can't beat it. I think that's great. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, people that are, are listening and uh, enjoying the shows will, uh, you know, if you're not already following along in some format, consider getting that stuff because uh, I think that's a good deal. Anyway... I'm sorry, I realize we're starting to run a little long here, so I'm going to go ahead and dig in. This is issue number 49 of Marvel Star Wars, the July 1981 issue, cover by Walt Simonson. It is beautiful. However, I have to point out one thing that I get a real kick out of, is that not long before this assignment, Walt Simon was working on another very popular science fiction property of the time, which was Battlestar Galactica. And as much as I think Luke looks really, really awesome on this cover, he really also looks a whole hell of a lot like uh, Walt Simonson's Apollo from Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> so I get a real kick out of that. He or totally Apollo does. Starbuck, take your take your pick, but yeah, he really does. But um. Inside this issue, the writer is Mike W. Barr, which, uh, Chris, is this the first time we've seen Mike W. Barr on Star Wars? I can't remember. I think think it it is. I think it is. I think it may be. Um, Artists on the interior are Walt Simonson as penciler and Tom Palmer as the inker. And uh, I just got to say, they make one hell of an art team. This is fantastic stuff. Original cover price, 50 cents, and the story is entitled The Last Jedi. We open to a full splash title page and one of the very best pieces of true art that we've seen so far in this title. It shows a uh, Y-wing fighter dropping out of hyperspace over a world on which Luke Skywalker and Princess Leia hope to find the means to turn an entire solar system against the Empire. Landing on the planet, Luke is immediately attacked by a giant vicious looking beast He tries the same trick he pulled on the Wampa ice creature a short time ago in The Empire Strikes Back, but the beast instantly heals from the cut. Suddenly, the beast is felled by a blast from behind Luke, and Prince Denib, uh, object of their search, stands revealed. Denid, it's hard to pronounce this guy's name, Denid, I think I said Denib a minute ago, but it's actually Denid, explains that he came to be on this planet after he, his betrothed, and another were forced to flee when his younger brother sold their homeworld out to the Empire. Denid's betrothed died in the crash, and just he and this mysterious other are left. As Luke wonders, what, uh, what's the deal with this other guy? A mysterious bug-like alien approaches, dressed in the garb of a Jedi Knight. Luke takes an immediately, immediate disliking to this guy, when he learns that the bug man was called to be a Jedi Knight, but refused in order to serve Denid's father. Injured in the crash that left them stranded on this planet, the creature, named Jedediah, Jedi for short, is mentally unbalanced and childlike. Luke explains that he and Leia have come to take Denid home. They all board the Y-Wing and depart, passing another ship coming out of hyperspace as they themselves enter it. On the trip to Denid's world uh, that takes a few days for some weird reason, Denid and Leia become very close, which kind of pisses Luke off to no end. 
and Jedi practices his skill skills with his lightsaber, and I say that in quotes, lightsaber in quotes, because it's really just a wooden staff, by bonking C-3PO on the head. I got a real kick out of that. Finally, they arrive at Denid's planet of Velmore, where Denid is just in time to halt the coronation ceremony for his brother and stake his rightful claim to the title of king. Luke, disguised as bounty hunter Coral Marcus, and Leia, disguised as Denid's dead girlfriend, accompany Denid. They are introduced to Zellor, regent of... Um, you know what? I've got the wrong name here. What the hell is this guy's name? Oh, no, it is Zellor. I'm sorry. They are introduced to Zellor, who is the, the regent, uh, who has been the regent all these years since the death of the king, and hot female imperial officer Captain Trawl. Yummy. Yeah. Denid's uh, identity is confirmed, and immediately the plotting and backstabbing begins with Captain Trawl trying to seduce and persuade Luke to off Denid uh, for her, and Zellar pretending to be on their side, planning to help her kill Skywalker after he's killed Denid, but really just intending to basically off everybody in order to retain power for himself. Luke tries to warn Leia uh, of the threat to her and Denid. But when he catches them smooching and overhears Denid actually propose marriage to Princess Leia, he's not too friggin' happy about it. So he eventually does deliver his warning, but then he seems to just kind of wash his hands of Princess Leia at that point and goes off to pout. During a pre-coronation hunting game, Zellar makes his move, seemingly killing Denid and Leia, and then setting his sights on Luke, whom he intends to set up as the patsy for the murders. All bets are off. Luke whips out his lightsaber, uh, allowing Trawl to guess his real identity and defends himself. Anod, Denid's traitorous younger brother, is killed in the crossfire and Luke is on the run. Outnumbered, Luke calls out with the force and Jedediah, suddenly lucid for the first time in ages, rushes to his aid. Zellor catches up with Luke and the two engage in a battle. Luke with his lightsaber and Zellor with this weird energy sword thing. Tra, uh, Trawl, Captain Trawl, gets the drop on them, but before she can fire, Jedediah shows up and jumps her, and he is killed defending Luke Skywalker, who witnesses the old man's sacrifice. Luke, seemingly out of anger, strikes down Zellar with a killing blow, and then he just kind of conks Trawl un unconscious by hitting her on the head. Uh, Denid and Leia, who are actually, and very conveniently, only stunned, Watch as Luke picks up the body of the fallen Jedediah, deeply moved by what the valiant old guy did for him. The story concludes with Leia turning down Denid's marriage proposal, explaining that her place is with the Rebellion, and she and Luke and the droids depart. Before punching it into hyperspace, however, Luke performs one last ceremony, burial in space for Jedediah, whom Luke says had, quote, the soul of a true Jedi Knight, the last Jedi. And that's this issue. And, you know, I just got to say, I, yeah, I loved this story as a kid, and I think it still holds yeah. up Camp Bell. Yeah. I, really... I, think, I, I think this is the beginning of solid storytelling in, in the comic series. Yep. I mean, I'm, I'm glad to, it holds not... up because that's what I had said before, you know, just in, you know, of course, relying on my memory is not a good thing. But that's what I had said before was that to my recollection, number 49 was really where it kicked into the high gear. point, yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad to see that, I, I, that that proved out to be true, that it still does hold up. I really like this issue. 
I love Simonson's art, so that instantly yeah. biases me. And he draws Leia's face and Luke's face wonderfully. You know, he gets mm. when Leia, there's a shot of Leia with her blonde hair, where she's just has a very natural smile on her face, mm-hmm. and you you can see it. It looks like you know, it looks like Carrie Fisher in in a blonde wig. It's great. Mm-hmm. I do wonder how much of that is Simonson and how much of that is Palmer. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, well, her her face definitely has that Tom Palmer, like the eyes and nose, the way they look. Mm-hmm. Definitely, this, yeah. But um, they complement each other so yeah. well. Oh yeah. Either way, either way, it works really well. Yeah. It does. Couple of oh, yeah. quick. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. <laughs> I, I just had a couple quick notes on this one. Um, <laughs> I noticed. I don't know if you guys did. Doesn't this Y-Wing have some really spacious accommodations? Yeah, just, I, yeah, yeah I know. I thought it was basically a seat or two, you know. But yeah. they're hanging it's the, out. It's the, it's the Kia Sedona of Starfighters, Yeah, man. you got some privacy <laughs> out there. This is a minivan, there. dude. Yeah. I, it's, it's in my notes, absolutely. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's that's a lot of room for a, a Y-Wing that's just, just, like you said, Chris, two-seater. That's it. Yeah. Now, this doesn't bother me. I actually think it's really cool, but... I noticed it for the first time, and it for some reason it jumped out at me in a way it never did when I was a child. But uh, this Y-wing fighter has actual wheeled landing gear, which I don't think Star Wars ships have. I've wheels never seen ship. that. Yeah, but no, that's it, cool. It looks really cool because it actually tackles uh, when it lands and takes off. Well, you know, you're right. I, yeah, I, I was just gonna say usually ships just sort of lift off. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I totally right. didn't catch and, that. And at the top of that page, there's a Star Wars shuttle up in the corner going, flying around. Up in the Which left Which page hand. is this? Page 10. Page 10. Let me see that. Or a Star Trek shuttle, I should say. Star Trek shuttle. Like a motion page... picture era. Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, holy yeah, it's shit. The, you're right. It's, it's a space dock shuttle. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's cool. That's funny. I, I love the uh, the use and acknowledgement of Luke's bionic hand, and they actually used the word bionic in here. I thought that was really cool. And Luke, they also went and ran with the whole cutting off hands thing. First, uh, that's yep. very Star Wars is having <laughs> yep. Luke try to cut off that creature's hand. It's like th- that's the number one way to take the piss out of somebody is to cut their hand off. <laughs> if you want to calm somebody down in the Star Wars universe, that's the traditional way to do it. Is just yeah. There's a whole website dedicated to uh, that, the the cutting off of appendages in Star Wars. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite a lengthy list. I really liked on. Uh, well, you know, the Jedi had their own version of a bris that was uh, performed with a lightsaber too, but that's for another show altogether. <laughs> Hold real still. <laughs> I uh, I kind of dug, even though it's not accurate at all. But on page seven, when the Y wing goes into hyperspace. It's more like a Stargate, you know, yeah. representation. But I think it just—it looks cool. But I know it's not accurate. Well, at all. it looks. I, I like how it looks because I like—I like the look of like one ship coming in and one ship's like, sort of going out. I, yeah, it's it's neat. You know, we never, do, the... we never we never do find out what that other ship is. I, yeah, I was, what the significance that. is. They made a point to mention it. It's yeah, like that movie rule. I could have totally excised that from my from my review. I noticed you right, put it in, never... and I was wondering whether you were going to because I remember reading it and noting it in my head. It's that movie rule, you know. If in Act One, or it's a play yeah, rule too. If Act Run, yeah. you see a gun on the table, 
by the end of the play or the movie, somebody better use that gun. And that's yep. what I remember hearing that, and that it made special point to to mention that another ship was coming out and that Leia's like, oh, there's another ship coming out. Well, we won't know who it is, whoever it is. Yeah, yeah, they're going to miss what us. What the hell was the significance of that now that I think uh, about it? Did they, nothing. I don't think they followed up. No. <laughs> it, it actually looks a little bit like the Enterprise with like the almost like a little saucer <laughs> section in front kind of thing. Maybe that was it. Maybe they were passing Kirk. You maybe know, maybe the Enterprise was on its way to Earth to get the whales, and that was just some transitional <laughs> through as it was going around the sun. It blipped into the Star Wars universe for a couple seconds like the Philadelphia see, Experiment. I'm sorry, Chris. Clearly you don't know your Star Trek lore. That that was a Romulan bird of prey. That was not the Enterprise. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh, my God. I'm embarrassed to be on the same podcast with you. Oh, well, get in line, man. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys see the sweet ad for the uh, radio show here? In, uh, with yeah. The, oh, yeah. The Luke, Luke, Luke getting beat with the ugly stick and the, the 3PO Pez dispenser. I love that. That's a great <laughs> ad. Oh, it's also the ad for uh, two heroes, two legends together. Superman and Spider-Man. We just uh, we just talked about that yep. not long ago. Yeah, I knew you were gonna love that. It's got all <laughs> the classics in it. You know the Joe Kubert school of cartooning and bubbly um. Yeah. Although yep. I have to say, out of all of these, my fa- it's got the prizes for cash on the back. On my favorite though is in the upcoming issue fifty. It's got the classic. You know, gag gifts on the back, but it's the ra- it's a rare one where it's all in with a white background. It's very strange. Oh, it's usually yeah. always yellow. You're right. In every comic, and this one for some reason, the Johnson Smith Company gag gifts are all white, and for some <laughs> reason, I think that's really cool. I always like the O.J. Simpson ads where he's uh, didn't he do the boot ads in the seventies? <laughs> Love those. Yeah. You gotta see the. Don't one worry, we'll. we'll... Chris... Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to him. Oh, okay, do that. <laughs> Whatever it is, I want to see it. I can tell already. <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the things that kind of I was disappointed in this issue um, was the coloring on Je- Jedediah, however you say his name. Like uh-huh. he's he's all one color, and he's a really interesting design. I mean, he, you can see echoes of Beta Ray Bill in his, yes. in his face a little yeah. bit, but he would. I think he could have been a lot more interesting if they used more than just one color on him but you know maybe they were in a hurry because that's what it's they seem to use a lot of big swaths of colors and washes just over you know yeah and 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 it's that can work sometimes but it looks sloppy here it's reminiscent to me of the gold key star trek comics in some ways Mm. except for the except the art is fantastic speaking of the art one more thing i gotta point out then i'm done with my, my list here but the Number of panels per page in this comic. I mean, this is way, com- in my opinion, comics are supposed to be. There's like anywhere from like seven or eight panels per page, almost in every page. One page even has eleven panels. Yeah, this is, is that the one with the little tiny? There's even like a little tiny square of Luke talking. Yeah, that's, it, I love yeah. that. Yeah, it's just uh It this is the way storytelling is supposed to be. And Tom Palmer, you know, this is this is this first one is official inker. You know, and he's a full-time inker, and this is this is really the beginning of the house style, I'd say, for Star Wars in post Empire. Yes. So. Yeah, when I when I think of of Marvel Star Wars fondly, you know, whenever I, I reflect on it, this style of art is what comes to mind. You know, whether it's 
you know, Palmer inking Simonson or Palmer inking Friends, or I think there's even some issues where Palmer was the artist, if I remember properly. But that's what I see is is his style of art, and I, I just I love it. I'm a big fan of it. I think it's just it, it was a unifying style that he mm-hmm. brought to the book, which is something that it lacked, you know, up till this point, really. Yep. But that's all I got for this issue, guys. Uh, I right. thought you'd have a lot more since it was one of your favorites, but that you know, well, <laughs> it's it's that dilemma I keep having. You're that, okay. You know, no, you're if, good. if it's an issue that that I have a lot of problems with, and I've got a ton of stuff I can rip on, but if it's an issue I love, it's like, well, what can I, I say beyond it. the point? Yeah. I love this issue. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll move on to issue fifty. Um, got to warn you, folks. This is a double-sized issue, uh, so. The uh, narration here, is, or the, the summary, is going to take a little bit longer. Um, so, and it's my first one, so I'm probably a little wordy. So, anyway. All right, issue number 50, cover date August 1981. It's called The Crimson Forever. Uh, cover is a beautiful, gorgeous painting by Tom Palmer. And I would love to have this as, like, a wallpaper or something. It's just beautiful. Uh, writer Archie Goodwin, artist Al Williamson, Tom Palmer, and Walt Simonson. It is a jam issue because there's so many pages. And I, I wanted, maybe you guys have mentioned this previously, but I want to mention editor Louise Jones, who, as we all know, become, later becomes Louise Simonson. So. Yep. Oh, right. Yeah. Got to give it up for her. So, <laughs> uh, 40 pages for 75 cents. Hells Yeah. All right. The issue starts with Chewie and Lando on the run from, the, from Imperial TIE fighters. The TIEs have the Falcon on the ropes until a blockade runner shows up and saves their proverbial space bacon. Leia is uh, on the blockade runner and informs Chewie and Lando to abandon their search for Han because something terrible has happened. As you can imagine, Chewie is not exactly thrilled with the idea of abandoning the search, but they agree to. Leia leads them to their new rebel base on the lava planet of Golrath. Turns out that Luke has been struck down by a mysterious virus called the Crimson Forever. I'm sorry, I should say the Crimson Forever! Um, <laughs> this has left Luke catatonic, and the whites of his eyes have turned like a bright crimson color. They, we flash back, uh, explaining how this happened, to Luke and some rebel pilots are investigating a derelict Star Destroyer. All the Imperials on the Star Destroyer are dead. Their bodies have been turned to this bright crimson color, or... Truthfully, pink, depending on how you describe early 1980s comic book coloring. Um, They find this large crimson jewel on the ship, and that appears to be what's transmitting the virus to folks. We snap back to present day. All the rebel pilots that got exposed to that gemstone have died, with the exception of Luke. He's the only one holding on. Lei explains that that's why they went to go get Chewie and Lando, because Han once mentioned a misadventure involving two large crimson jewels. Chewie suddenly becomes six kinds of pissed off at this. He is freaking the crap out, um, doesn't want to tell the tale. Leia uses her patented hot princess technique and talks Chewie into sharing. Meanwhile, we visit Luke's fevered, uh, troubled fever dreams. In his dreams, he's battling Darth Vader, and for some inexplicable reason, Luke is not wearing a shirt through any of this, and I really didn't need that, but maybe they needed some beefcake for the issue. Luke and Vader are <laughs> fighting amongst this heavy red mist, Luke's trying to get away from Vader because he's fearful that Vader is his dad and then he might, and Luke himself might go down the dark side path. This is kind of their chance to sort of remind us what happened in Empire, sort of. Uh, Luke sees Obi-Wan and Yoda 
in the in his in his fever dreams, and they are as always completely useless in the advice department. They're like talking to freaking shrinks. You know, what do you think, Luke? How does it make you feel, Luke? Why can't you just give him a straight effing answer? You know. <laughs> Luke eventually follows his gut instinct and stops fighting Vader. He figures out that something else is going on here, and he stops resisting, and he lets the Crimson Forever overwhelm him. We cut back to the real world. Chewie starts to tell his story, and C-3PO translates. This is where we get to Chapter 2, Chewbacca's story, Rage in the Red Nebula. We pretty quickly figure out this is a story of Han and Chewie, and it takes place sometime between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Uh, Han and Chewie are trying to avoid some Imperial entanglements, and they land on the planet Terminus, which is a cross-galactic sh uh, shipping hub. While they're walking around um, looking for a bar, they get stun-blasted by someone in the shadows. When they wake up, they find that they've been press-ganged into working on an intergalactic bulk freighter called the Nova Prince. The ship's already en route to beyond the known galaxy, to the Red Nebula. The jailer is Kalisk. He's an alien exile from the Red Nebula who just happens to look like a reject from the 1922 vampire movie Nosferatu. <laughs> um, the ship has several other hijacked smugglers and pirates on board. All are there to help uh, Klisk recover the two large crimson gems from the nebula. Notice pattern here, crimson gems. Klisk has fitted all the kidnapped crew with remote control ionization shackles, which can kill them at his whim, so they're kind of forced to help him. Han ends up helping uh, to fly the ship through a comet meteor storm, not because he really wants to, but he's just trying to stay alive. They arrive in the heart of the Red Nebula, they land on the planet. Most of the planet's been smashed to bits by meteors, except for this one valley that's gorgeously uh, got this slush jungle, you know, think, uh, think Savage Land in the middle of nowhere. At the center of the jungle is a temple with the two crimson jewels that everyone's looking for. Klisk leads his kidnapped band of scoundrels against the temple. Of course, Han and Chewie, because they're our heroes, they get there first. They meet another one of these Nosferatu rejects, who happens to be the temple priest. He explains that the gem's aura protects the valley. Three other of Klisk's smugglers show up for the gems, one of which who looks exactly like Dr. Evanzan, the guy from the cantina that had a death sentence at 12 systems. Except Holy this guy's shit, got... you're right. Yeah, except this guy's got both arms, so maybe, you know, as the X-Men would say, he got better. Um, anyway, the three are dispatched by this enormous 20-foot... Wookie monkey blue looking thing. Um, the blue monkey Wookie thing starts cuddling Chewie, uh, thinking that Chewie looks quite a bit like a cub of her species. Aww. This, I know, so Chewie. <laughs> um, the priest allows Han to take the gems while Chewie's over there busy playing baby doll, and Han brings a bag brings a bag with the jewels to Klisk, intending to negotiate with him. Klisk flips from the bird, takes the gem stat the the sack and strands Han on the planet. Next thing you know, Klisk flies his spaceship into the Red Nebula Sun, killing everybody on board. The, the temple priest explains that while the priests view the gems as protectors, Klisk's band of Nosferatu rejects views the stones as blasphemous abominations that have artificially kept this race alive against the will of the universe. Whole big hoo-ha thing. So, Klisk flew, flew his ship into the sun, hoping to destroy the gemstones and in turn destroying the race of these Nosferatu people. Well, Turns out Hansel is a lot more sly than we thought. He ne didn't actually give the gemstones to Kliss. He just gave him an empty bag or a, ba a decoy bag. He had actually hid the gemstones nearby the temple. So Han and the priest go to retrieve the gems, only to discover that one of the mercenaries had also stumbled across the gems. The mercenary had tried to make off with one of the gems, leaving the other behind. Apparently the gems, when they're together, provide protection, but when they're separated, they generate the Crimson Forever virus. 
So the priest restores the Crimson Gems to the temple and provides Han and Chewie with a convenient spaceship for them to return home. That ends Chewie's tale. Now, Chapter 3, Against the Scarlet Knight. This is going to wrap us up on the issue. As Luke appears to uh, slip further into the Crimson Forever, Lando, Chewie, and Leia fly the Falcon towards the Red Nebula. As they approach the Nebula, they come across a derelict house of Tag, mining ship. They board the ship, find nearly all the crew has succumbed to the Crimson Forever virus. As they explore the ship, they're kidnapped by the bounty hunter IG-88. The droid then brings them to this, like, sort of hermetically sealed portion of the ship where they encounter the super foxy Domina Tag, who we last saw in Star Wars number 37 when her brother, not-so-foxy Baron Ormond Tag, he died. Uh, There's a flashback where Domina explains how the ship became derelict. She ended up hiring a bunch of bounty hunters, pretty much everybody we knew from Empire Strikes Back, except for Boba Fett. We got IG-88, Dengar, Bosk, and Zuckus. Uh, she hired them to recover the Crimson Gemstones from these Nosferatu people. Uh, once they had the Crimson Gems, the Tag ship was attacked by an Imperial Star Destroyer. Stormtroopers boarded Tag ship, attempting to take the Crimson Gems. In the end, one gemstone ended up on the Star Destroyer, and one gemstone ended up on the Tag ship. So that's why everyone on the Tag ship's dead, and that's why the Star Destroyer we saw earlier in the issue is also wiped out. Um, in both cases, the Crimson Forever spread like wildfire. So Domina Tag survived by securing her section of the ship from infection. She plans to escape the contaminated ship and the Falcon, but Leia and, L- and Lando get away. Domina strikes a deal, which allows them to reunite the Crimson Gems. They get the gems back together. Apparently, the effects of the Crimson Forever reverse. Nearly everyone comes back. Some people don't quite make it back because they were apparently fighting the virus. But Luke pops back up, feeling better. Um... Domino and the Bunny Hunters are given an escape ship, while the derelict Star Destroyer is programmed to plunge into hyperspace towards the great void beyond the galactic rim, taking the two Crimson Gemstones with it. Lando reveals that he let slip to the Bounty Hunters that Domino Tag might be worth a substantial Imperial reward for her offenses against the Empire, and cue everyone on the panel chuckling like the end of a Super Friends cartoon. Woo! Sorry. Oh, wow. Really long, big issue. Excellent job. No, you did Excellent that. job. You got the, to that really well. Excellent job. This is okay. a super meaty issue. I mean, a lot of shit happens now, in this, but I it just, moves along, too. I want to preface this, Scott, with I remember like when we were talking about doing this episode, you were like, and we were, we were divvying up the, uh, the, the issues for it, and I remember you being just sort of like, well, I don't remember much about 50. I didn't think I really, but when I read it again, I remember you really liked this issue, and I remember like being over at your place, and you were telling me you got to read the Crimson Forever one. It's oh, got really? the Al-, Al Williamson art, and and telling me about the story of it. And when I was reading that, that all came back. So, yeah, you were kind of a fan of this this issue. Oh, I, back, I'm, I'm glad you remember that day. because uh, that makes me feel good because I, I had kind of a, a bittersweet memory. My my only memory of this is uh strangely i don't remember buying many of the you know the story behind buying some of these off the rack you know i remember like right. like 25 because that was the one that inspired me to start collecting comics but this one i do remember i don't remember any you know up until just rereading it i didn't remember anything of the story or what happens or any you know i didn't have any memories of the actual issue itself but I do distinctly remember when I bought this, we stopped. I, I, for some reason, I was with my grandparents, uh, my gardener grandparents, 
and we stopped by that little convenience store that you and I have discussed before on the show. You know, that one that was on Factory Street on the way home. Right, right. And we stopped by there, and this issue was on the stands, and I bought it. And I can remember getting back out to the car and getting in. And for some reason or other, I don't remember why, but my grandfather had a goddamn fit that I had spent $75, or excuse me, 75 cents <laughs> rather, on a comic book. I mean, he was he was just really, you know, just incensed at the idea that, you know, a friggin' funny book could cost 75 yeah, I'll cents. Never, right. Yeah, I'll never forget it as long as I live that he was pissed. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's 70, so... I- 75 cents, you can buy a whole well, lot of chew. Yeah, well, it's yeah. funny. It was your first comment that 75 cents for all these pages. What a bargain, you know? That's Yeah. The... yeah. By that... today's standards, yeah, yeah. But at that at that time, 75 cents, that was a hell of a lot of money for, for a comic. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, it, was, it was quite a good deal to compare to the previous issues because the previous right, issues were 50, 50 cents. cents. Right. So, so you it got been a double the pages, but it wasn't double the price. Yeah. And this is pretty close to no ads. I mean, there's a few ads in here, but for the most part, it's almost all story. Well, also at the at that point, and even now, I consider Al Williamson like, you know, Rolls Royce type artist for Star Wars. He's like, yes, just like very high quality artist for. So when you see Al Williamson involved in Star Wars, it's a little. It was special to me then because I knew I was going to see the, you know, very nicely rendered space. Every, everything is very accurate, you know, and it's proportion and detail. And the chewies in this are great, you know. There's one page. Let me see what page it is. There's a great just shot of well, Chewie's head that, that it, it almost captures the real Chewie. Well, there's a great Chewie on... Oh, the pages aren't numbered. How awesome. No, they're not. It does make it no. challenging. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. But uh, on I the first page of one. The Rage and the Red Nebula, the that chapter two, there's a great Chewie down in the bottom corner that reminds me of a synthesis between the real Chewie and the action figure Chewie. I love it. Something I noticed in this, and, and, and this isn't really a criticism, I just thought that it was worth pointing out, is that I really like this because he had to he had to really bring his own art to the story where, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy his adaptation of the empire strikes back, but when we were reviewing that and looking back at that, it, it kind of took some of my, my childhood enthusiasm of that away. When I, when I got to realizing just how very much of that was photo referenced, but this one, because it's an original, original. story, then it has to be pretty original. However, there are a lot of um, shots of the stars, you know, the the main characters like Luke and Leia and and, and Lando and stuff that are photo referenced. Oh, from well, there's the, a, oh, yeah. And it yeah. Lo- but it works. It totally works and looks really, really good because there's a shot of Luke it's, with the with the medical droid that's right out of Empire. It, it's yeah. that panel, but also the panel just before that where it's uh, C-3PO. And Leia's right next to him wearing the the protective mask. Mm-hmm. That is right out of the first movie when they're standing there. It's at the Battle of Yavin and they're standing oh, at that right. like, table, you know, Ooh. watching and the battle. And they just put a mask on her, yeah? You're right. And she's you're lit right. by the screens of the battle, yeah. Yeah, but it works. I mean, it, it's really mm-hmm. good. I, I like that. It, for this particular one, I like that there's a little bit of, of photo reference. It, it adds something to the to the story, I think, but... 
I am the hell out of this. Williamson's panel design too is just so great. Like even yeah. on the second and third page, I mean, it's just so unusual. It's it's different than what you see. There's no borders really, per se, on some of it. Where you know the the rocket engines of the the blockade runner bleed off, and it's just it's really cool. And the yeah. the, the very first page, that shot of the Falcons, gorgeous. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and I he, I like I always say he brings that Flash Gordon classic that that Star Wars actually it's that link between the origins of Star Wars and Star Wars you know he's from that era of of um, Flash Gordon and stuff like that you know so it gets that classic space opera look to it yeah you know, I, I picture Al Williamson's view of the Star Wars universe as being the closest to like what you know the George Lucas version is you know mm. and, and mm-hmm. maybe not in exact visual style but in in spirit, in essence, yeah, it's yeah. it's that it's Flash Gordon. It's and when they used to do comics of like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers, they were gorgeous like this, and they you know they were actually way better looking than the actual movies. You know they could yeah. they could detail mm-hmm. stuff in and do really good special effects <laughs> that way. So so I yeah I love it I love it. I actually have three copies of this issue. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I need to get one from you because I was just going to say, you know, most, not all, but most of my Star Wars issues, I've been surprised as I've been pulling them back out. Most of them are in, like, almost mint condition for as old as they are and for as many times as I read them and everything as a kid. However, this one, for some strange reason, this is yellow as hell on the inside, and I don't know why. So I would like to get a uh, crisp, nice copy of this I've, one because the pages have, are not white at all. I have one that I got when I bought a whole shit ton of that that seventy five lot of Star Wars comics. And it's funny, I was just looking; at, they were all bagged and boarded, and they all had like price tags like ten. This one had fourteen dollars on it. Wow! And I'm just like, wow, nobody was getting this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but that one's nice. It looks like a normal comic. Every And my original issue of this I had, and I've had like four or five different issues of it. They've all been messed up. They've all been – I have one that it's stapled weird and it was printed and cut weird. And both of, the, both of them I have are weird. The spines are kind of rolled in that weird way that double epi- issue mm-hmm. um, would, would get and – so they're kind of messed up, you know, but it, it seemed like this issue might have been prone to getting messed up. Mine's in terrible condition, cause, but <laughs> mine's more so because you how many read times it I a read million it. times. Yeah, I mean, this is the first Star Wars comic I bought, and this actually—I I often say Star Seeker Wars is what got me collecting comics, but you know, I. I I don't think about the fact that I was collecting Star Wars because I didn't really consider that as collecting comics. But this right. started me. This truthfully would be the comic that started me collecting comics. I read this thing so many times. I'm surprised this thing holds together. How many times I've read it? Ugh. So, um, so you and I have that in common that Star Wars was our our gateway drug into into comic books. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to amend my story. I always tell about Secret Wars too. I did not think about the fact that Star Wars really was it. Oh, come um, on, man. You wouldn't want to admit to Secret Wars 2 being the thing that got you into Oh, I'm comics. sorry. It, it was... Wait, I'm sorry. Clarification. Secret Wars, issue number two. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's yeah, Sorry. I'll tell, you that story. I'll tell you that story another day. I'll tell you that story another day. But there's some things in here I wanted to point out. I think it's a... I, I mean, I talked before. I gushed about the cover. I still gush about the cover. But it, it's funny. Luke is front and center 
you know, on this thing, and yet he's barely in the issue. Um, well, on the like issue of the cover, though, and this is, believe me, this is not a criticism. I, I'm dead serious about this. Looking at this cover, seriously, does this not like look like something that you would either see on the cover or inside um, Mad Magazine? There's there's a, a serious Mad Magazine vibe. A little Mad Magazine, a little yeah. Marvel Super Special. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Maybe it's Lando. There's something about Lando's face and pose. Okay. I see that. that. Looks like it's right out of Mad Magazine. A little caricatured, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I love that. it. I'm not. I'm not criticizing it. I really love it. But for some reason, every time I look at this cover, it, it looks like something that sh- should be at the beginning of Mad Magazine's parody of The Empire Strikes Back or something. You know, it what I reminds mean? me of the Dark Horse comics. Now, you know, it seems more modern than the other Star Wars. Hmm. Hmm. comics to me. I love that Ben and Yoda are on the cover, though, because I yeah. don't think Ben and Yoda made the covers very often at all. Yep. It's it's neat. And I remember, actually, I think what got me to pick this up was as a kid, I saw Han was on the cover. Yeah. yeah. And so I was like, ooh, what? Huh? And so that's kind of what got me interested. I, I love, um, well, I, I like right off the bat, Lando is regretful about what happened in Empire. Yeah. And for, for me as a new reader, it's like that got me to be like, oh, maybe I can forgive Lando for betraying Han. Maybe he's, you know, he's not such a bad guy. Yeah, that was important. That was a big story point. I, I can remember thinking the same thing that, you know, you wanted him to to feel bad because we had not yet forgiven him for what he right. had done. I remember being so pissed at the end of Empire Strikes Back. I'm like, the guy who betrayed Han is flying a ship and wearing his clothes. Yeah, yeah. Pretty soon he'll be he'll be pretty soon he'll be smooching Princess Leia. And, yeah, yeah. You truly belong here amongst the Rebel Alliance. Um, and the Golrath base is uh, this is really cool because it's like it, it's twenty years or so before Mustafar. Yes. Are, and yeah. it's like good job, good job, guys. I'm proud of them for beating them to it. And uh, the line here, and I maybe it's just language doesn't change, but they say here, we've taken over this played-out magma smelting plant. And played out, just the vernacular nowadays using the term played out, I guess it's always meant that, but it, it cracks my ass up. I cannot stop laughing about yeah. that. This plant's played out. So. <laughs> Makes uh, a better base than the uh, played-out smegma melting plant, well, too. This all, th- this... <laughs> This, <laughs> Thanks for that visual. I heard that was your wife's <laughs> nickname for you was the played oh. out smegma plant. Um, this also sort of anticipates Jedi with his conversation with with Ben and Yoda, where he's like, "How can I trust whatever, what anything you say?" And they just sort of <laughs> you give assholes him, lied to me. Yeah, and they just sort of yep. say, "Oh well, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit." So it's right. that, that that sort of anticipates that scene and. Except for the shirtless part. That's a little weird. Because he's got a shirt on in the real world. That's what I can't figure out. I guarantee you that my cousin Michelle probably loved this frickin' issue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that's clear with this issue, too, is the writers, you know, they were having fun. They they took out all the toys in the toy box and played with them. They got... you got two and B. You got blockade, blockade runners. You got Vader in the dream sequence. You got Yoda. You got Boba Fett. You got the Tag family. And it's and awesome to see Han and Han again. You know, you weren't yes. thinking you were going to see him ever. Dude, you had a movie. great call with Doctor. What? What the hell is this dude's? I can never remember his name. Doctor. Uh, I'm, I'm a white man. 
Right. Dr. Death is his nickname. Yeah. But uh, Evazan or something like that. Yeah, yeah. because I caught the Wolfman guy from the uh -huh. canteen, but for some reason I did not catch the Doctor. And you're right. That is the... it. I mean, it may not be the exact same character, but it's surely drawn to look like yeah. that dude. So oh, yeah. That was a great catch because the ones that... Uh, I think well, made all... the whole issue for me because I'm a big bounty hunter fan. You know, the, the bounty hunters was, uh, you know, you've got IG-88, you've got Dengar. There's a, a little thing with with, ha with a Chewie fantasizing about clobbering Boba Fett that was really cool. I like that scene, yeah. But uh, what I really like is there's the scene where... Uh, now, granted, I can no-prize this, <laughs> but I love the part where uh, Domina Tag says... Uh, she says, Bosk, Zuckus, take their spacesuits. Now, I'm presuming she's talking to the guy who's drawn with like a green suit with a with a purple head there. There was great confusion between those two characters, um, Zuckus and Forlom. Mm -hmm. And because Kenner got them backwards when they when they published the action figures, they had the names switched. And so for years there was great confusion on which was which. And if she's talking to that dude in this issue, then that's actually Forlom. But my no prize for this would be that maybe we simply just, you know, Zuckus is off. You know, yeah, he's off screen exactly, and you just don't see him. But sure. I think it's cool that uh, that you know they're in there, seeing as how they're of all the bounty hunters, those two are like the most obscure guys. But that's pretty cool. I mean, except for Boba Fett, the whole team is there from you know from what we saw in The Empire Strikes Back. I thought that was awesome. I, uh, is it wrong of me to think that Domino Tag is just super hot? I just no, because I think so too. And I did marry Scott's a gorgeous a, redhead in, Scott's in real a life. sucker for redheads was, too. I, I married a gorgeous redhead, so I wonder if this comic influenced me. Oh, oh yeah. I hope she <laughs> so, doesn't share the same traits as Domino Tag, <laughs> other than the physical traits. Uh, Yikes. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was kind of interesting: the, the giant blue mo monkey Wookie thing. Um, it's like it like it's almost like they nailed that one too because if i remember right doesn't the, like one of the ewok movies don't they have like a giant hairy beastie creature thing in that too yeah it's like that was the first ewok movie it was basically like uh animal it was a giant guy in a suit that they just undercranked a little bit or overcranked so he was a little slow looking and then green screened him on the background but he yeah. was a big furry but I like this because it just sort of reminds me of a kid playing with a Star Wars action figure that, you know, the way he's <laughs> it, it holding Chewie. and me, though, <laughs> in the thought that all you would have to do is put an apron on her and you'd want a banger, though. That that disturbs me very much. I did not. That's not Mala. What? Come on. Ah, a, my ears. It does not look like Mala. You know, you think just any hairy ape-like thing that, it, you know, no, it was Mala. There was something about oh, okay. her that I was I didn't special. realize you had actual standards or anything. Come I thought on. it was pretty much any any hairy beast no, in, a, in an apron. No. I did, I did not know you loved Mala like that. Mala, oh, what, that Mala was hot, man. And let, let me tell you, at a young age, when you see, like, the housewife is running around the house naked only wearing an apron. Come on, man. Tell me that isn't hot. Oh, dear God. In the God. 70s, right? Am I right or am I wrong? That Wookiee family very, was very a free wrong. love. That Wookiee family was a free love open family. Come on. Grandpa would sit around watching his porn tapes of Starship. You right. know, while, while Mala was running around naked in her apron. You know, okay, come on. 
<laughs> Weren't they uh, Jefferson Airplane at that point? <laughs> yeah, I think they were Jefferson Airplane at that point. But either way, it was just like, hi, old dirty Wookiee guy. And he's like, ah, well, you know, and they cut to him oh. actually like drooling and slavering. And yeah, uh, that, I mean, that was a hot and say, horny show, man. I would say you ruined the holiday special for me, but, but come it on. ruined itself. Yeah, so. I was just going to say, well, oh. it's like... <laughs> It's it, you know ba- you know minus the cartoon which is one of the greatest things yes. ever to be you know introduced into the universe that I mean that was one of those yeah that was one when all those people who are, are who are our age are like George Lucas stole our childhood he took our jobs took our childhood <laughs> took our yeah, <laughs> took our childhood um. <laughs> No, he, he he did not take it with episode one. He took it with the the holiday special. That Absolutely. was the moment where we were watching God this. Damn it! Going, stop hating on the holiday special. I like. I love. I lo- one of my fondest memories is sitting in that attic yeah. down from where I live right now, where when you lived there and and you had that bootleg tape of the holiday special with all the commercials still in it, and we oh, sat speak. up there watching the it just yeah. yeah, just dying. And, uh, you know, but I mean, literally, I mean, really, even as a kid who was accepting of anything Star Wars, I literally remember watching that going, oh, was, is this part shot on video? That doesn't work, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Harvey Corman as, you know, Julia Childs and, with six arms or whatever it was. B. Arthur like, oh, and oh. stuff, you know? So that, the, the episode one things that people hate are not new things. So right, they can't, they, they cry their crocodile tears. <laughs> but we were there when we were kids taking it like men, taking it for the team. So buck up, little Star Wars soldiers, and eat your episode one. There's starving children around the world who have no Star Wars, and I'm not gonna let you leave the table till every drop of Star Wars is gone. <laughs> Don't make me pull this podcast over. <laughs> All right, I'm putting the cap on my Mountain Dew now. <laughs> I, I wish we could end it there because that was genius. Um, oh no 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 no! I got more, but no, go no ahead. there's Jack, more. What else you got for this one? I got one. I got. Wait, two last things. Uh, one is uh, just a nice observation. I liked how the beginning of the issue starts off with Lando and Chewie on the run from the Imperials, and then the the flashback with Chewie and Han starts off the exact same way. Yeah, uh, on the run from the Imperials. That's kind of cool. And then probably the single most important thing in this entire book, and if it was na- na- uh, page numbered, I'd tell you a page, but <laughs> is the Dungeons and Dragons ad, which <laughs> is. So beyond amazing! I I love this ad. I have I have sought information on this ad. I've researched. I've published on my blog in the last few months. This is the greatest ad ever. It's so bad. It's amazing. <laughs> it's I know. I'm looking for. I'm I'm flipping through like crazy. But I know I have the picture of it in my head with that artwork the, that's out of slime. Yeah, it's don't like, touch it. It's certain death. Look it, out! Look it's out! Dripping. It's dripping. It's li- <laughs> it's literally like the art you would see in some D and D kids notebook in school that they drew, yes. drew, drew in science class when they were bored. You know, the kid who could draw really good for for a fifteen year old. Yeah. Yes, it's yes, it's that ad. But it was all very new back then, so they got you know Dungeons and Dragons was a grassroots. Obviously, look at it; it's just like cut and pasted together. Boy, you know, 
Think of we, what they did before Photoshop, man. When I posted this on my blog, someone came back and pointed out some stuff that was interesting where, like, uh, in the top page, and this has nothing to do with Star Wars, sorry, folks, but anyway. Oh, no, that's all right. Like, the, it, they've obviously changed some of the dialogue to add things in. Like, they don't, people suggested they don't think the little thief character was in the story originally, but got added. Like He looks see, like it. His Well, because yeah. he's standing on the ground in the first panel about a, two feet up in the air. Yeah, exactly. The bottom yeah. of the panel is a ground for him, but the other guys are cut off at the knees, yeah. And, and then, like, in the text balloons, like, they had to obviously erase and rewrite some stuff. And it's just uh, it's so joyously awful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Scott. No, and it does have something to do with Star Wars because it's in the Star Wars comic. There you go. Fair enough. Well, I, uh, I, likewise, I only had two things left. Um, you had mentioned uh, something about uh, they, they conveniently lend Han, you know, the, the Nosferatu dude lends Han a ship, and I got to thinking about this. You know, you're right to point that out because does this not happen way too much in both Star Wars and Star Trek. Then at the end, it's just like, okay, well, we're done here. Hey, here's a ship. Yeah, I mean, isn't that pretty much just like giving one of your cars to somebody who needs a ride to get somewhere? It's like, oh, here you go. Just just take one of our cars. We we don't care if we get it back or not. Well, they do say something like, we don't use them. We had them here when we thought we were going to have to do this, but there ain't enough of them. I just take one. I don't care. Yeah, but I mean, come on. How often does that happen in real life where somebody's just like, well, you know, we've got this car and we don't really use it. So He was sort of instrumental in, in helping them out, though, with their entire with their lives so maybe you know a ship is a small price to pay for the existence of your little safe haven i guess i guess i mean Even the car is you... clearly important because they, they mow the grass there yes around the car i mean it's well trimmed and manicured <laughs> so <laughs> last thing is uh I, again, this just occurred to me as as we were discussing this this is not the the first time that Luke caught a disease that yes. changed his eyes. Because if you'll remember <laughs> in the Russ Manning uh, Star Wars strip, he there was that whole storyline where he caught Bledsoe's disease and he got stars in his eyes. Do you guys remember right? that? And, there's, and, and there was the whole thing on the wheel where he went into his coma That's and right. his force-induced coma and had, uh, just like this and had a little, like, like, you know, foggy battle with Darth Vader with Ben Kenobi in it. That's hmm. right. But pre-Yoda, right. so there was no Yoda there. But that one was, I, I... like, floating in space. This one's in Mushroom World, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's tripping on shrooms. Dude. I don't know that I actually read much of the Russ Manning stuff, because uh, at Williamson did a bunch of the strips, too, right? Yeah. And that's yeah, what Dark Horse yeah. reprinted was the Williamson stuff. And that's See, what I read. Yeah, everybody remembers that. Every you know, because that's it, it, I, I guess it must have been more prominent or something. More people got that in their their hometown paper or whatever. And it's definitely Russ been Manning, reprinted. Yeah. But we got Russ Manning, and that's that's just what I hold up because that's what I remember. I was if, more familiar with it. But if uh, you go to the Two True Freaks forum, somewhere buried in there, it hasn't been. We have a we've slacked off on oh, that. Oh, don't but, don't don't bring that up. <laughs> but you can see some of them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm embarrassed oh, okay. because I kind of well, it was It's okay. It's because the forum went down for so long, yeah. which yeah. was way beyond our control. But yeah, I was posting 
I was trying to do it daily and, and kind of make it like the old feeling of the newspaper coming out every day and giving you a new strip. And I was updating that for the longest time. And then I just kind of slacked off. It was and, a good amount of work because Scott actually has the clipped, you right, know, yeah. the, the strips from the paper that he's had all these years. Uh, and, and wow. since newsprint is the cheapest paper of all kind they're yellow and Mm -hmm. you know so he would scan them and send them to me and then i would take them into photoshop and and turn them white again and all that so it was a whole process to put them up but it was definitely fun and it was you know i i did the same thing when i was a kid well i had my grandparents had a subscription to the the paper so they would cut them out for me and i would pester them all the time to make sure they were remembering to cut out the Star Wars strips for me because it was the most important thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's really cool. Now, to answer your question about as far as people's awareness, I, I really think the Al Williamson stuff is probably more aware, not because of distribution, but simply because Dark Horse reprinted them all in the 90s. Right, yeah. And, and that's where I got exposed to it. I mean, the only time I ever saw the strip was when I go to my grandmother's house in Podunk, this little tiny little town. For some reason, they got the strip and we didn't. That's the only time I'd ever see it, so I didn't really read it till the the '90s reprints, and they're gorgeous. They're so beautiful because, like you guys mentioned, that Williamson really personifies classy Star Wars, yeah. and that's what all that is. Even if the story's hokey, sometimes it's it's great. He's classy. Um, I'm I'm glad to hear you <laughs> say nice things about it because uh, I, I've been intent on trying to finish off some of my Star Wars collections that I, I've started in comics and one of them that I decided to, to go back and finish not long ago was the uh, the classic Star Wars line from mm-hmm. Dark Horse, you know, the, the reprintings. Now I had all the issues of classic Star Wars, the early adventures because that does reprint the Russ Manning stuff, mm-hmm. but the original series called Classic Star Wars ran 20 issues and it was all that Al Williamson stuff I had one through, I think it was like one through eight or one through nine, and it ran 20 issues. I could not seem to get the remaining issues at a decent price. So I finally broke down, and the the there were three trade paperbacks that reprinted all that stuff. And I got just about volumes that. two and three for like a song. And after reading this issue, number 50... I dug those out, and I'm, I'm finally going to sit down and read them for the first time. And uh, I'm actually expecting to, to hopefully really enjoy them because I dug this uh, this issue 50 a lot. I really enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that was my Sorry. alfalfa answer. What was it? <laughs> Spanky. I can't remember which one of them. I think it was alfalfa. I don't well, remember. Guy. I uh, I want to say, because I think we're coming up on the end here, I want to say how much I really appreciate you guys having me on the show. I have had a real blast. This is, just, I mean, like I said, your little show here is really cute, and um, I'm just kidding. We'll <laughs> get I'm, you I'm, up in here again. <laughs> I know, I've, I've really had a great time. This is awesome. I love your show. I think you guys are hilarious. I think I'll, we're sadly on very much the same wavelengths on a lot of things, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, this has been a hoot. I'm glad to find someone else that loves the comics as much as me. Uh, we have uh, we have really enjoyed having you. You are always welcome anytime to come back and join us. And uh, thank you so much for being on. Anytime. Notice oh. Chris isn't saying anything nice at all. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. You know. <laughs> well, I could say this. You sort of said you were going to be an asshole, and you really weren't 
that much of an asshole, I guess. So, <laughs> all right, well, it's good. It's, it's nice, all good. It's very nice of you to say that, cockface. I appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! One cock in the face, and that's what people know you for for the rest of your life. Well, it's all over sh- the internet. Not well, Chris the podcaster. Up? Not not Chris the line cook. Aren't you guys all about the robot cock here? I heard. So. <laughs> oh, right. Well, it's been a great episode. Big thanks again to the irredeemable Shag for joining us on this episode. You can catch Shag on two different awesome blogs. There's the Once Upon a Geek blog that you can find at onceuponageek.com and Firestorm Fan blog that you can find at firestormfan.com. And you can hear Shag as the semi-regular co-host on Michael Bailey's Views from the Long Box podcast, which you may find at fortressofbailytude.com forward slash views from the long box visit our website at two true freaks.libson.com two true freaks.libson.com is spelled t-w-o-t-r-u-e-f-r-e-a-k-s dot libson which is l-i-b-s-y-n.com you can email two true freaks directly at two true freaks at gmail.com you can find me scott gardner both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by Damanzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U. This is the Irredeemable Shag, recording a sound file for the freaks. Mmm, much freak I sense in you. Mmm, indeed. <laughs>